You're listening to episode 100 of G.I. Joburg. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached 100 episodes, and we've been debating for some time as to how best to celebrate this event. Should we even celebrate it at all? I mean, it's just a number, right? But we couldn't let this milestone go by without doing something a little special. So for our 100th episode, G.I. Joburg is doing a series of interviews with some very, very special guests. The theme for these interviews, G.I. Joe, the past, the present, and the future. Now, those of you who are familiar with G.I. Joburg have often perhaps heard me mentioning friends from my childhood. And one name has gone mentioned more than a couple of times, but I've never managed to get him on the show. Until now. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting my oldest childhood friend, Mr. Alistair Stokel. Say hi, Alistair. Hey, Steve. <laughs> Say hi, <laughs> listeners. You're on radio, hi, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie, this is amazing. Pinch me. I'm, I'm a little bit giddy. How are you doing, buddy? Doing really well. Had a quite an awesome day out with the wife and the baby, checking things out, Somerset West. But um, yeah, I had a, had a great day. This is a nice round it off, I think. L's got a real life, but before he did, he used to join Rob and I on some pretty serious adventures. I think, L, you kind of stepped into the picture in my life big time when other kids were starting to phase out their G.I. Joe toys or, or playing with toys in general in favor of video games and sport and, dare I say it, girls even. <laughs> but for some reason... You and I and Rob kept the flame alive long after that. And I think it had a lot to do with the combination of the three of us. Like we spurred each other on. And you were kind of the, the wild card factor because you, you, you weren't a G.I. Joe collector. You didn't have any toys of your own, but you yep. were the most enthusiastic voice amongst us. Well, that would, that would come, I would think, from growing up not having them. And then when presented with this plethora of little plastic men with guns. It's just like, wow, your, your imagination runs wild and you can reenact and live out scenes from movies, video games, anything you wanted to do. It was a, yeah, it was a fun time. That's a good point, actually. Like where did, I, I, I could name my influence, I suppose, on, you know, on one hand. Um, but since you're new to the show, what really informed your sort of GI Joe, I suppose, I don't know, your, your play universe, like what were your chief influences? Well, video games for one. Um, uh, growing up playing strategy games like Command and Conquer and whatnot, that that brought us a very militaristic view into my gaming, I would think. But uh, other games later on in life like Grand Theft Auto, when it's just like balls to the wall, guns and action and cars blowing up and that's when the fun really, really kicks in, when you just open your mind up to whatever you want to do. Mm. And for me, yeah, it really enveloped. It's the open world, do what you want, and just have fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's face it, like G.I. Joe toys were our first big open world, like MMO style games. Yeah. Before, before the hardware could support those types of games, we were having them with our own imaginations and our hands and our action figures. Yeah. We even did those very organized and controlled death matches and that caused quite a lot of fights. So we didn't do that very often. 
<laughs> you know, I've forgotten the Vikings. Rude is to see, oh, did the sniper get you? No, you're too far away. Or uh, very <laughs> RPG kind of percentages and whatnot. That's brilliant. I had forgotten about that. Yes, and I recall we each had three weapons that um, our opponents would have to hide from us in the yep. map. So we'd have like a, a, a basic weapon, like a, a knife or a yep. sword, and then we'd have a, a, a pistol or a machine gun, and then we'd have like, <laughs> and this is the best part, we actually used the sort of spring-loaded launchers, and that was like yep. our kind of like BFG. That was the range. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and we hit guys in the map as well. They would spring a, a stealth trap. So you had to really be careful walking around those corners. <laughs> but as you say, it uh, probably caused more fights than than enjoyment. So we quickly left that behind. But when we started building our kind of G.I. Joe mythology, there was one character that you picked which kind of rose to the top of the of the pile. Do you remember who that guy was? Yeah, um, G.I. Joe's law. I suppose he, being the having the militaristic view on gaming, he was the most military-looking dude. He had the the piss-pot World War II helmet, uh, <laughs> Kevlar vest. He had cool guns. He had a dog. You know, it's it's very much in line with the, my my way of thinking when it came to gaming. Mm, and uh, hardcore G.I. Joe fans and listeners out there, take note: it wasn't version one of law. For whatever reason, I'd skipped that release, and it was the Sonic Fighters lore with the tan pants and the green flak jackets, which, yeah, as you say, gave that more militaristic look and feel. Did yeah. you know, El, that he originally came in, like, orange and blue? I think I did know that, but, you know, my memory is really bad, so I probably <laughs> forgot about that. Well, don't worry, man. I, in, my, in my view, you had the superior version, and uh, yeah, that's all we need to say about that. But Law, you, you redubbed him quite humorously. I mean, you seldom ever called him Law. That's because I didn't know what his name was at the time. <laughs> and he had a wonderful armband with MP on it, so he just became MP Man. <laughs> juvenile Minds, that sounded right to me. That made sense. Yeah, a catchy name and a good, 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 good bit of comic relief. I mean, if it was just me and Rob playing or just you and me playing, we'd have a more serious tone. But when you get the three of us together, things got a little bit more whimsical. <laughs> like, I would always try and get on with the mission, you know, serious briefing. And you guys, you architects of disaster, would always be cracking jokes. But for a time, we shifted the focus away from G.I. Joe versus Cobra. And we created a new villain uh, who was very heavily linked to organized crime and South American drug cartels, and he was represented by a member of the Corps. <laughs> and I named him Carlos Duarte the Scorpion with a K. Yeah. I mean, could you yeah. get more cliche than that? The South American part, I was thinking, wow, that really doesn't narrow it down. We created lots of different villains with lots of different backstories. Ah, right. But, I mean, the core. I think I just wanted G.I. Joe to fight guys who weren't in, like, purple jumpsuits. I agree. So we we kind of dialed our world back into a very realistic G.I. Joe being an anti-terrorist team or, like, law enforcement and going after guys in South American jungles. We'd parachute in. We'd rescue hostages. We'd set fire to fields of, of narcotics. And we'd uh, assassinate the key enemy personnel. Yeah, so, so for a long time, Cobra kind of got phased out. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that, that also when the UN peacekeepers made their appearance, that was a good range of toys. UN peacekeepers? Hey. Yeah, dude. Did you remember? That's where all the hammers came from, and the the. Oh, ah, but I, th- I remember them from a different name. They um they were the Power Team Elite, or um, is that what they were? I thought they were UN peacekeepers. Uh, they they were dubbed World Peacekeepers. World Peacekeepers. There we go. That's it. Yeah, man. But I think we're jumping the gun several years, man. Sure. Yeah. It used to be a case of you with Law, me with Shockwave, Rob with Scoop. <laughs> To this day, I think my my Gmail account still has that picture of, like, the three figures standing shoulder to shoulder. Like, yeah, three comrades in arms, three buddies. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> is, it, is it really? Dude, these things still rule my life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but then we flip forward a couple of years and... And things get a little bit more interesting. We get new G.I. Joes. The, uh, historically, they're not now called the New Sculpt era, where the materials changed slightly. It was a more uh, forgiving plastic, kind of a rubbery plastic on the grip. And then there was a figure that really kind of jumped out at you at that stage. Yeah. That was uh, the first introduction I had to Beachhead, really. Oh, yeah. After, again, going for the very realistic military look. Oh, yeah. And ironically, the day that figure arrived from Amazon was the day we also watched the G.I. Joe, the movie, for the first oh, really? time together. Yeah. And you're like, Beachhead doesn't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he had some, yeah, you had some reaction to, like, Beachhead's voiceover. And you're like, no ways, man. He sounds way cooler in my head. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But ironically, I mean, that movie did feature Beachhead quite heavily, and and Law uh, had a, had a nice feature as well. So two yeah. of your faves got some representation. That was a cool movie. Has it gotten cooler in hindsight? Because I seem to recall at the time you and Rob were like, "Yuck, what is this? Cobra Law?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole Cobra Law alien thing was kind of weird. Um, but then again, it's Cobra, so I don't know what else you expect. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much explaining why we we went after Carlos Duarte and his yeah, cronies. Made a lot of sense. But we also did some kind of science fiction type adventures. I don't know if you recall. Uh, well, okay, we'll get to the main event in just a bit. But before before that, we we would repurpose G.I. Joe vehicles and make them kind of like heavily armed hovercraft. Yeah. And we were part of a gang called the Renegades, a bunch of mercenaries who would like fly around and attack highly armed convoys in this kind of like pseudo Star Wars-y kind of world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall you used the Thunderclap, the main component with the cannon. And it was rapid fire cannon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, it was crazy. Rapid fire when necessary, but long range as well. Uh, and, and there was a member of your crew called The Guy. No, that was Rob. <laughs> I said Rob. The guy, the guy. And when the guy died, <laughs> he was replaced by someone called The Man. Uh, and it was, wasn't it also the dude? There was the dude. I don't know. Uh, that seems to stick in my mind. But yeah, definitely the man and the guy. The man and the guy. And the guy even did the tightrope walk to Circus Jolly theme, so... 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that had, uh, there, there was an infiltration that we did at some point, and like I fired like a, a line from one building to the other, and I was yeah. having my guy hand over hand, foot over foot, sort of underslung, and, go along and the then wire. <laughs> and then, and then good old Rob came uh, along, Circus Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. A master of the comedic arts. So yeah, we call that gang the Renegades. I think I flew around using um, the ice saber, but I'd broken off the front skis, so it was. It actually made it quite a convincing flying craft, actually, yeah. with the two dorsal Gatling guns and the nose gun. I used Cesspool as my chief baddie slash protagonist, a guy called Scarface. And his, like, right-hand man was Overkill, the robot with the removable red hand. Yeah. Yeah, man. Bionic Commando style. <laughs> oh, incidentally, listeners, if you're interested in a little bit more information on my love affair with Overkill, check out our latest YouTube video, Steve's Top 10 Most Important G.I. Joe Figures of All Time. That could be quite fun to watch. Yeah, I quickly mashed out a video. I mean, warts and all, it's not very high production values, I should say. Uh, not much uh, time went into it. It's literally like me, my hands in the shot, and my favorite <laughs> figures. <laughs> what comes to mind when I mention Yahoo Groups? Oh, those email games. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That was quite a lot of fun at the time. Really, it was. You got quite involved, Al. Yeah, because uh, people just started flaking off, and I wanted to keep it going. So between Rob and I, we basically ran missions on our own. Mm. Wow. Uh, listeners, if this is uh, drawing a blank... We've never actually spoken about it on G.I. Joe book before, but for a time, there were a number of G.I. Joe role-playing games which were played out using Yahoo groups, which were basically like group email chats that everyone could like post a block of text to basically further the story. You'd get a moderator who'd set the scene, give the mission briefing, and launch us into the fray, and then you would... You know, in typical RPG fashion, you would explain what your character is doing within the scenario. And then it would kind of cycle around to the next group of people and everyone would get a turn and then the moderator would move the, the events forward. But as Elle says, like, people started dropping out and you wanted to keep the story going. So you and Rob started taking on more and more of a lion's share of the storytelling. Yeah, because the theory of it was great, but when people take too long to reply or reply with absolute nonsense, then it's just, I don't know, makes you want to cry. <laughs> absolute nonsense? Care to elaborate? Well, just when it comes to how many people the one dude is able to kill in a room, it just becomes ridiculous. I mean, it, it is set in the Jojo world. It is set in a bit of reality, even though it is a role-playing game that we're playing. And, yeah, when there was females involved... That just took it to a whole other level of ridiculous crap. I'd like to say that G.I. Joburg is not sexist, but no, I, I have either. to support you, Earl. The, the ladies on these role-playing games had a very firm focus on the romantic lives of the characters. 
Yeah, and that's not what it's about. Well, I guess for some people it was. And I speak mainly about fans of G.I. Joe who were introduced to it through the cartoons. And they're typically, you know, male and female. Because, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s, if it was like two hours worth of cartoons in the afternoon, you wouldn't suddenly stop watching because it was Barbie. Or or if you're a female, you wouldn't stop watching because it was G.I. Joe. You would watch the entire two hours and you'd be a fan of the characters of, of the, the cartoons contained therein. So that's yeah. very true. I'm watching a lot of My Little Pony. <laughs> oh no! You know there's a name for that. If you're a male My Little Pony fan, you're a brony. No, come on. I'm, I'm dead <laughs> serious. I'm dead serious. There are men who attend conventions for My Little Pony, and parents parents freak out because they're like, why that's are there a bunch of thirty and forty year old men at this convention which is aimed for girls? Well. <laughs> Like I say, not to be sexist or anything, but some things are undeniably, I suppose, sexed. Yeah, man. So the ladies always had Destro having affairs with both the Baroness and Lady J, Duke somehow getting involved in all of that, and yeah, Flint's, no doubt, Flint's no doubt running around with his shirt off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it did open up different avenues to explore. I mean... It, it allows you to get really into character. I mean, and mentioning female players and characters, I remember one story, I think I've still actually got it saved somewhere where myself, and I can't remember which character it was, I would imagine it was, it was Scarlet. That word, you know, you wake up after a crash, you don't really know what happened and you gotta figure out and survive wherever you are. Uh, but Rob played the character of the female. And it also got a bit, Sexual, which was very weird because I knew it was Rob at the end of the email. <laughs> so we, I, I kind of canned that very early on and I was like, no, let's get on with the mission. Bugger all of that. <laughs> Bugger, yeah. Cunning, cunning choice of word there, brother. <laughs> um, no, something that's in playing on my mind now, what were the, I remember I came up with the name, and you really didn't like the name, but what did we use it for? They were called the Juno Swords. Oh, yes. Well, that takes that? us back to uh, Renegades, because there was a, a rival group of mercenaries who uh, we, you know, we, we couldn't in good faith eliminate them, but they would often steal our, our jobs, yeah. and they were called the Juno Swords. And we had guys kind of betraying us and going over to their camp. And by the same token, guys from their camp coming over to our side. I think the, the leader of that group was Darklon. Do you remember that figure? Freaky no. looking dude. Okay, he was one of Destro's guys from like main G.I. Joe continuity. They were related, distant cousins or something. Anyways, he had a black, weird sci-fi looking mask. He actually worked very well in a sci-fi setting. Okay. He had a signature vehicle, which no doubt could hover as well in our Renegades game. But Renegades yeah. kind of gave way to an even more intriguing, also sci-fi bent kind of game called Shifters. Yeah, I think we had the most fun with that because, again, possibilities were endless with the, the transport between dimensions. Yep. And this is also the first time I've gotten a, an opportunity to mention it on this show. So, for the sake of putting the listeners, and I suppose you as well, Al, back into the frame, Shifters was set, initially, in a world that Cobra had taken over North America. 
through massive uh, brainwashing, actually. And they'd created a fortress out of the North American continent, which was somehow isolated from the rest of the world. I mean, it's scarily prophetic if you're watching current events. And also, you might think I'm cribbing an animated series episode called The Worlds Without End, but actually this predates my watching of it. So I guess the themes of Cobra taking over the world and G.I. Joe suddenly becoming a resistance movement were, like, well entrenched in my brain. Anyways, we have these three protagonists who are all Cobra investigators trying to track down and eliminate the last G.I. Joe terrorists. And they catch up eventually with the guy who's set to eliminate the Cobra Emperor. And it's low light. You know, he's going to do this one in a million kind of sniper shot uh, that would actually kill the kingpin of, of the Cobra organization. And he manages to convince them that their world is a lie and that if they want the proof, go to Cobra Island. So they hove off to Cobra Island and find the remnants of this mass brainwashing equipment. But sensing the, the leak and sensing the danger, Cobra High Command bomb Cobra Island to smithereens. Low light gets vaporized, but our three protagonists somehow are not. They wake up in these cylinders and they're like, what the hell, what the hell happened? We thought we were dead. Well, <clears throat> Let me cut to the chase. Turns out these guys were super-powered interdimensional beings that could bend reality matrix-style within a dimension, but also transport themselves with the help of a operator, also matrix-style, from one possible dimension to the next. And their job, before they were caught by Cobra and brainwashed within this massive mass brainwashing event and, and thereby inducing amnesia in themselves, their job was to track down other interdimensional beings who were using their abilities to damage, I suppose, the multiverse or, or basically use it to their own ends, their own evil ends, and bring them to justice. It sounds like that movie where he... he... You know, there's, a, there's, uh, there's many versions of himself through time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was probably one of our influences, The One. Jackie the Chan. One. So there was Jet that. Lee. There was, oh, Jet Li, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Jackie Chan's the funny guy, right? There was yeah. that. There was obviously The Matrix. I think we just wanted to find a way to justify having strong protagonists who were also one-man armies. So the ability to use bullet time was such a cool innovation in our G.I. Joe games, because all of a sudden we could cut through enemies in, a, in seconds, but to us we could show it in like slow motion. So my guy naturally was armed with a sword, Snake Eyes version 3's sword, um, and it was, oh man, I made a custom for that, well, kind of a lazy custom. He had a new sculpt, uh, snow serpent legs, so they were like furry boots. <laughs> he had Shockwave's body armor. Uh, backblasts beefy arms with that sheath that Snake Eyes' sword could actually sheath into, and Flint's, uh, Flint Eco Warrior's head. You also had a, a, a custom in play, but slightly lazier than mine. 
Do you I remember that one? I can't remember who it was. You used Beachhead version 4, the new sculpt Beachhead with the gummy hands. Oh, yeah? With uh, the new sculpt Blowtorch head. So he had, like, blonde shaved head. <laughs> mm. Do you remember what you called him? Ben something or other. Ben Hyamon. Yeah. Like, you told me at the time that it came from a book that you were reading. It came from a Wilbur Smith book, and I've since learned what... Actually, last night, what in ancient times, what the word Ben in a name meant, it means, Ben means son of. So my character was son of Hayamon. So he didn't actually have a name of his own. I'm now realizing. Hmm. Wasn't there also some other crazy factoid that... Uh, yeah, that was because you kept putting us in awkward situations that we were uncomfortable with given our age. So when, you know, he just somewhat became a eunuch. I don't think we need to explain anything further on that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry, man. I, I, over the course of this time, we had become teenagers, and it suddenly became intriguing that our G.I. Joes never had any kind of sex life. And since we were dealing with, uh, at one point, a kind of a vampiric world, and in fact, one of our chief antagonists was this sort of vampire shifter, he could move through dimensions, but he was also a blood-sucking parasite. But, like, you know, the themes of vampirism, it is a highly sexualized theme. You know, you're sinking your teeth into someone's neck and essentially yeah. giving them an STD, basically. <clears throat> so with all those themes in play and the teenage hormones, I was like, yeah, man, shit. If uh, my shifter rolls up into a brothel, he's not leaving without getting some. And you were also the only one of the three of us that were actually doing anything like that in real life. <laughs> that doesn't need to be on the record. <laughs> you can edit it afterwards. No, 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 that's fine. That's gold. I love, I love a little bit of personal info. You know, I came clean to my girlfriend the other day that the reason I didn't party much as a youngster was because, or as a teen, later teen, uh, was because I'd rather spend my nights or my weekends on my weekend nights <laughs> at home with the two of you guys. Yeah. We'd play some Joes, we'd make some popcorn, we'd kick back and watch some movies. Like, that uh, was... My wife doesn't like hearing about any of this. That's why I'm not near her right now. Oh. Well, I'll think about it this way. Better that than getting shit-faced every weekend, pissing your money away, hooking no, up with random strangers. I mean, like, come on. I'm I'm in total agreement with you. Don't get me wrong. It's just to maybe I would say 98% of the world, what we did up until the age we did it was seen as very, very weird. Well, have no fear, bro, because the 2% that don't find it weird are the 100% of our listenership. <laughs> yeah, so no, that I everyone listening to this gets it. Everyone listening to this understands. And you're in the company of friends, Al. Oh, there was no, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's funny. I think our G.I. Joe, or uh, playing with G.I. Joe, uh, would have died a swift death had it not been for your enthusiasm. Rob and I would often spend hours umming and aahing about what kind of game we should play, what That's the what setting should be. I was ready to go, my guns and everything, just let's kill stuff. I didn't need a mission, I just needed to kill stuff. <laughs> that sounds really psychotic right now, but that's how it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Deathmatch style. I mean, just like, 
it was essentially a video game for you. Like for me, the story elements were more important for you, the action and like just seeing your protagonist in cool scenarios, dealing death to like bad guys on mass. Yeah. And I remember you even had like a bot that would follow you around. Yeah. That was your guy. Hmm? That was the renegade. They had a, I think it was a star Wars toy. It even had a pullback action. Yep. I think I got inspiration from that from a video game of Ghost Recon where you have, um, the, I think they call it a mule. It's this automated little machine that follows you around and you can give it commands and it carries all your equipment so you can restock on ammo whenever you want. Hey, L, once again, man, I think, I think your influence must have predated Ghost Recon because, like, you used that toy to do that in, like, the early 2000s. Wasn't Ghost Recon out around then? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'd have to do a double check. But I do know that that pullback and go Star Wars sort of mini uh, droid came in an accessory pack from Episode One. It was yeah. a sort of a yellow thing with like silver antenna. And yeah, with black stuff on it, and I just put plastic guns all over it. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I mean, if Episode One is our benchmark, that was like 1999. Sure. So it takes you back, huh? Definitely. Our most recent outing, actually, our last hurrah, I guess, was just before you got hitched, man. When you say our, who are you talking about? Well, you, me, and Rob had our last G.I. Joe outing only last year. Really? Yeah, can you believe it? You were down in Cape Town for, uh, what, you were helping your father with some... Oh, no, your father was helping you with some woodworking pro- projects that you wanted to sell at your wife's shop. Was that last year or the day before? But, yeah, it was, it was fairly recently. Uh, I think it was last year. We wanted to rekindle some of that magic, and I think I think we were, we were quite successful. We didn't get quite as much time for it as as I maybe would have liked. I mean, hell, if I could, if I could detain you and Rob for like the rest of our lives, <laughs> I probably would, because you know I live for this stuff still. But yeah, we actually used some of the Marauder figures. Now, Marauder figures are made by a third party; they're not made by Hasbro, the makers of GI Joe. And it was a good fun. Which one so, are those? Um, the guys with all the modular gear, the stuff, the sort of parts and pockets that would uh, you could kind of push into little holes on their bodies. I never really enjoyed those because they kept popping out. Mm. I'm trying to remember who you used then. Mm. I think you used a beachhead, if I'm not mistaken. Like a really like updated beachhead. Yeah, probably. I think it was Pursuit of Cobra Beachhead for those listeners <laughs> keeping score. <laughs> Did they have such elaborate names? Uh, well, I mean, the range that he came from is Pursuit of Cobra. So oh, okay. after the, the film, Rise of Cobra, there was a sort of an intermediate period where they were using some of the designs from the film, but also hybridizing them with designs from, like, earlier G.I. Joe. So we got, like, classics, like uh, a classic Lowlight, but very, very nicely updated. Like, the details insane. And the features. Jeez. The really cool night vision goggles? I remember you going on about that because you really liked that feature. Um, he had... Gosh. Well, this particular release of, of, of Lowlights had his classic goggles, but they were removable. I mean, version 1 Lowlights had molded goggles. But this one, you could remove them and you could see his eyes. 
which is quite cool. First time ever, I think, wasn't it? Um, there was a version that we had, in fact, that had a flip-up visor and a removable helmet. I don't know if you remember it. He had a black, black beard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, that was that was the lowlights who spilt the beans about the Cobra-controlled um, <laughs> Twisted Universe yeah. in our Shifters game. Cool. Yeah, man. But, yeah, I mean, that, that last game, yes, you had Beachhead. I had uh, a modern-era Duke, which I quite liked. Uh, this is the Renegades Duke. And Rob, he used his um, Marauder's Ink figure. He kind of <laughs> gritted his teeth and just stuck things with the blue tack or plastic. <laughs> and off Man. Mm. Yeah. You also had a, quite a thing for Flint in the earlier days. And also mm. when the, the, the new release Joe's came out, the, what did you call them? Ones of the squishy cans? Uh, the new new sculpt, that's what they were called, yeah. And then he also used flints, like, on every mission. And he, <laughs> I remember the disproportionately sized feet that he had. <laughs> <laughs> yep, his so that finishing was, move. He uh, a bevy of laughs over the atomic <laughs> stomp. <laughs> <laughs> the atomic stomp. Oh, um, oh Rob. Mr. Go. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, it's gone through several um, phases, I suppose, my life with this toy line, the greatest toy line in the world. Now I get my kicks playing with them on camera, it seems, and talking about them uh, for the benefit of our listenership out there on iTunes and Podbean. That sounds fun, dude. Well, it had to metamorphose, man. Yeah, in an earlier time, as I say, I could detain you and Rob, and we could spend late nights just... Messing with our action figures. Nowadays, it's a case of like, well, we don't live in the same cities anymore. And I think that's a story that's quite close to a lot of people's hearts. I mean, I'm just thrilled that I have rapport with both my my key childhood friends. Yeah, I don't think there's many people that can actually say that. Mm-hmm. And not many people that can say they have a conversation with their oldest friend about playing with their action figures. I mean, like... This is G.I. Joe Big History. In fact, I'd venture to say that as far as uh, G.I. Joe-related podcasts are concerned, this is history. It's cool then that it's episode 100. You never told me that before. Well, it is a special milestone and made special not by the number, but by the quality of the people that are affiliated to this, this project. I speak about th the three guests that we are going to be featuring in this episode, first of which being you, Alistair, and I also speak about the awesome people that G.I. Joburg has met during the course of this project. I mean, it's just spectacular. Friends, people who have commented, people who have written at length about how much they love the show, people who've raised important questions for us to address, people who've contributed materially, both by giving us, like, cool customs or filling holes in our collection, or pointing us in the direction of really, really sweet deals to get amazing pieces like the Cobra Terradrome and the G.I. Joe Defiant Launch Complex. Yeah, G.I. Joeberg is the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> to both us and hopefully you, dear listener. All right, Ali, is there anything else you want to talk about before we call it a night? I don't think so. All right, man. Thank you for joining me, bud. This means a hell of a lot. That was awesome. Yeah. Can we get a righteous yo, Joe? Yo, Joe!
That is voiceover worthy. Nice, brother. Thanks, man. Bye, Ali. shift our focus from a discussion of the past to one of the present. With no new G.I. Joe products being released in the foreseeable future, we're forced to turn our attentions back to our own collections. Some of us spend our time filling important holes, but some of us take our existing toys and create something new. Yes, G.I. Joeberg is finally going to talk customs. It's a G.I. Joeberg first. We've never talked about customs before, and we've got the perfect guest to talk with. One name has been resonating around this podcast anytime customs are mentioned. He's a Brit, and he's called Jim Godfrey. Hi, Jim. Hello, Steve. How are you, mate? Great, man. And don't worry, listeners, I'm not soloing it anymore, because now we're finally joined by the South African contingent of G.I. Joburg. It's Paul and Rob. I've just been busy filling some very important holes and in my collection, Paul. <laughs> I've been quietly laughing uh, during that introduction as well, Rob. <laughs> and this is the second part of G.I. Joburg's 100th episode. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> man, oh man, the pressure. Jim, how are you on this evening, man? I'm great, mate. Before we start, then, has everyone got a beverage in hand? Actually, I yeah. do. Well, yeah. Well, happy 100, G.I. Joe Bird. Cheers, Cheers man. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Blug, Virtual blug, clink. Blug. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to cling my ashtray um, and my glass together. <laughs> Here's the microphone and the glass. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, nice. That was actually, that's quite sexy. Mm. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking out of a pen? <laughs> yeah, that was my face hitting tiles. By way of introduction, Jim got hold of us some time ago on Facebook Messenger. God, what was it about, man? Do you remember? It was during the Pyramid of Darkness retrospective. It was uh, it was to link a discussion on another podcast about Ron Friedman. Being a uh, an asset to the CIA by God, that was the name? Jay Dyer, that's it. Connecting those dots. I mean, I'm sure it's something that Cujo jumped all over at the time. I'm not sure if it was. I think Cujo was part of Joe Berg officially back then. It was like two years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, time mm. does fly. We've had a, a North American contingent for about that length of time by now. She was. But uh, in any case. Jim truly endeared himself to G.I. Joburg for eternity by whipping up the most exceptional customs, uh, commissions essentially, um, individual customs for each of us of uh, figures that he knew we'd love. Uh, I got a very, very, very stylized rock and roll covered in tattoos looking absolutely badass. Paul got... A unique reversion or reimagining of the Tiger Force Outback. 
and Rob got Snake Pliskin from Escape from New York. So we were pleased as punch. And it certainly um, gave us a, a, a very, very good showcase of your ability, man. Seeing your work up close and personal is, yeah, uh, pictures are great, but wow, wow. These are amazing toys, and they've stood up. Like, I've, I play with my rock and roll. I, I know that might, might be frowned upon, but uh, it happens, man. And, yeah, dude, this is an excellent, excellent toy. No, play away, mate. How's, his, how's the paint rub issue with him? Seeing as Perfect. you manhandle him. I manhandle him. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't sit there rotating his bicep like ad infinitum, but it's, <laughs> it's impressive. It's impressive. I mean, I've, I've handled a few customs before that are clearly meant to display only. Whatever you do, yeah. man, and I hope, I hope we can have some of your, 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 your tricks of the trade and secrets uh, being unveiled in this episode. Uh, but whatever you do to those figures, it, they are play ready. They're not sissy boy customs, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you still love them, mate. That's that's the main thing. Yeah. In fact, I have yet to um, check out Rob's Snake Pliskin. What? Damn it, Robbie! Paul seen around. it. <laughs> I also would. It is very cool. It is very cool. Still very cool. Oh. Yeah, I was yeah. shocked you guys didn't just tear that out of the uh, packaging when you did your video. Oh, man. <laughs> have a gander's at it. Have a play with it. It's so good. That's yeah. the problem with um, with shared collections, essentially, because, you know, Rob and I have been kind of co-collecting for, well, ever since we were children. And, mm. you know, ultimately, we both wind up playing with each other's toys. <laughs> but <laughs> there is a very important rule that if it's my toy, I open it. It's kind of sacred. Don't touch the tips. Oh. Yeah, okay. That's... That's enough sincerity for me, you fucking jokers. <laughs> Jim, by way of introduction as well, we got to ask an important question straight off the bat. Your favorite classic GI Joe action figure and your favorite vehicle? Can you classic. nail it? Can you can you can you name one that rises well, to the top? It's kind of, it generally changes week to week, doesn't it? I'm sure everybody gets that, don't they? You, you flick <laughs> through the Bellamo guide and think. Damn, that one's nice. So. <laughs> okay, oh, well, phrased so differently, when you were a child and, uh, you know, Action Force were on the move, um, <laughs> <laughs> who was your point man? Who was your, your protagonist, your sort of lead character? Or were you a Cobra kind of guy? No, I was definitely, yeah, I was definitely a Joe guy. Well, Action Force guy. But um, the one I played with most was probably Beachhead. Just because it, it appeals to kids, doesn't it? Balaclava, baggy, combat trousers, lots of web gear. But looking back, I think um, if I had had him when I was a little lad, I think Night Viper might have actually beaten Beachhead to the punch. Wow. He's just got that... that a proper sci-fi military near future aesthetic which I loved back then and I love even more now so maybe I'm going to dispute that for one all important reason his gun is baffling yeah as a child it bugged me man I was like what do I do with this I promptly lost it because he could never realistically grasp it but as far as the figure's concerned, yeah, yeah. Um, since it no longer was a Night Viper because I'd lost the visor and all that jazz, 
I would swap out sort of a lazy boy head custom, uh, swap him out with anyone who I wanted to look sort of night ops tactical. And yes, that mm-hmm. body did see a lot of use because it's a fantastic mold. Wow. Mm. I do love that visor as well. I actually used it on a modern era custom. It was one we were talking about, Steve. Remember we had a conversation about the kind of physique that Steeler should have. <laughs> In the yeah. comics, he was portrayed as this hulking meathead kind of strongman character. So I ended up building one using a robot block body and a vest. And he had a, he had a traditional tanker's helmet, but I uh, fitted the night viper visor and put sort of drilled into his head to put a uh, a little hinge bar in there and so it flipped up and down oh man i'm giving him a, a dreadnought's face so we had some big chuck i can't remember which dreadnought it is big pork chops and sunglasses maybe it's that torch maybe no it, could, it sounds uh, like torch unless it's blonde and it's buzzer no mm. torch yeah torch got it torch yeah <laughs> and uh, vehicles my man vehicles mm, can we have a vintage and modern era by all means <laughs> okay. playing Paul's rules yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> I've got a huge list of uh, honourable mentions we need to dispel all rumours that we are some kind of vintage purists uh, just because we typically talk about vintage all the time and, and, and not so much the modern era stuff doesn't mean we hate on it uh, that's no, that's that is not the truth of GI Joburg. I've kind of the pendulum swinging the other way for me personally. But anyways, enough <laughs> about me. Give me your vehicles, brother. So vintage, it's it was it's a tough one, but I'm gonna have to go with the whale, even yes. though yes. I see a lot of flaws in it, quite a lot of flaws. But I really I like um, playset kind of vehicles, ones where you can have Joes lying across them or standing on them hanging off them and with little cra- nooks and crannies hatches, love hatches so uh, yeah the whale outstanding man, and and a customizer's dream, you've carved oh, up yeah. a whale, have you not? yeah, yeah uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, again it's, got, it's gonna sound sycophantic isn't it Steve, but uh, it was after a conversation <laughs> between me and you Beautiful man. I just got back from rollout roll call, and I'd bought this knackered up um, whale body bits missing. There was kind of glue smeared over it where somebody had tried to fix bits. And I had a little chat up with you online about things you could do to customize it. And we sort of um, we kind of came to the conclusion that you've just got to strip out that ridiculous section that launches the little recon sled mm-hmm. create a cargo bay reconfigure the hinges on the doors to make it open out so you can fit something in it and it ended up where the, I built a bipedal walker using a Star Wars base that folded down slotted in there and so you could draw it out out of the ramp, slides down, stands up and had sort of all, lots of satchels and backpacks strapped to it, sort of like a like a long range scout vehicle. Which mm. I'm realizing is a trademark of your vehicles, but I suppose your figures as well is like pockets and satchels and bags, you know, things slung onto it. And it's easy to see reference for that stuff because in real 
you know, in combat, in warfare, things do not come, they, they do not look like they've just slid off the production line. They are absolutely, practically decked out. You know, everywhere you can put additional equipments and gear, you've got it, you know, to hand. Images of like grizzly jeeps in, in World War II, like crossing the desert with just bags and bags just stashed everywhere. That's, that's all kind of springs to mind. And yeah, man, it's, it's wonderful to see how you, you ran with these designs and just, you know, produced work that looks so realistic. Well, yeah, if you ever, if you get inside a, a real, armored fighting vehicle they're so pokey so um spaces it's you, everything's got to be put away very efficiently so you've got all this sort of secondary gear tents and stuff and it goes on the outside doesn't it so mm, cool but you said modern era vehicle also makes the list man which uh, yeah modern era yeah you listening no clarity here <laughs> armored yeah, panther Ooh, <laughs> nice. what <laughs> he absolutely love the uh, armadillo. I couldn't put it as my vintage one because the, the whale does beat it, but I, I love that toy so much. Wow. I know okay. you hate it, Steve. I, what, I, uh, like, I mean, you're in luck because armored panthers can be had by the dozen, man. <laughs> oh, I know. Funny. Yeah. The, uh, are they from Retaliation or are they from Rise of Cobra? From Rise of Cobra. Rise of Cobra, yeah. Yeah, man. They are common. Still many of them to be found in box. I love the the camo pattern on it. The grey and beige. Lovely. Mm. And the the addition of they've changed the muzzles of the the uh, quad or the quad sixties, I think. And oh I like repro stickers on it. So the original tricolour G.I. Joe symbols. And then one last caveat, I want POC Dusty sat in it. Huh. <laughs> oh, which, which, uh, which head? Which head With do you prefer? With the, uh, the dust mask. Okay. I like it. Yeah, the clear visor with the face underneath. It's, oh, it's um, lovely. You know what it reminds me of is uh, those, uh, what are they, Acid Rain? Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That yeah. kind of setting. For whatever reason, it seemed like they'd this kind of neo-apocalyptic desert warfare look about them. And that, that Dusty evokes that a lot. Must be the cape. <laughs> yeah, it's very sort of uh, road warrior-esque, isn't it? Mm. Uh, it also reminds me of, uh, there was an anime as well called Desert Punk. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the main guy from there is also similarly dressed, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, yeah. I, yeah, I had that image in my head, Paulie, you're right. <laughs> One of the things that has always stood out about Jim's Customs, for me at least, is that aside from being aesthetic, there's a lot of play value to his Customs, especially to your vehicles, Jim, uh, to what I've seen. Like, you know, you, you, you will hack up a vehicle, but then you'll make sure it's got, like, features, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say, like, it shoots missiles or anything ridiculous, but just, you kind of, yeah. So, like, there's computer consoles or there's seating or the seating can do something as opposed to just being a static chair that you have to sort of manipulate a Joe around. You know, you've kind of made it that it works out really well. And so, like, I'd say that your your customs come more from the mind of, like, a toy maker as opposed to just somebody who's just trying to make something cool with a G.I. Joe shell, you know? Yeah. 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 
it's yeah, it is. It's it's a lot more like building something, making a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Use a lot of styrene sheeting to construct new shells and new structures within a vehicle to sort of add that element of. I do like vehicles with somewhere to go inside. Like mm. the, the Warthog is wonderful because it's got that that inner shell which has mm. the seats molded into it. The front and back, that's so nice. It's so lovely to to be able to slot figures into something. It's and like the Defiant, Jesus, that's um that's <laughs> amazing. That's <laughs> amazing toy with little hatchways and walkways and just feed a figure through them. It's it's a great play pattern in term. Mm. You mentioned it. I have to uh go one step further, man, and ask that warthog that you carved the back out of and then extended mm. using that uh was it a an armored personnel carrier from world peacekeepers the power that's right used? yeah the, uh, oh, so man. i think it's like a russian btr isn't it? what was its fate i mean you it's, had constructed it completely did it then see paint and 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 what did you use to propel it what was it wheeled was it tracked did it become a hover tank <laughs> it's ongoing it's uh <laughs> paul you've been helping me out with this haven't you yeah yeah Currently, where it's at, it's kind of like a six-wheeled type thing, if memory serves. It's, it's actually looking really, really, really cool. I wish you would finish it now. <laughs> Once again, that is f- further evidencing the point that you don't just make good-looking toys. You view it from a very real-world standpoint. Like, you'd built rifle racks on the inside close mm-hmm. to the sort of the exit hatches, and that's... A sublime detail, like wow. I mean, you know, you you are thinking about how how this vehicle would would really uh, serve uh, in the field, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's ongoing, Steve. Don't worry, it'll be when it's finished. I'll put it up on the group page, a ton of pictures, so you can so you can have a propagandas. But yeah, it's um, at the moment because it was going to be a hover carrier. I was trying to make four like huge hover fans where the front and rear wheel arches were, kind of like the um, the hover truck from what is it, Paul? It's Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah. So uh, MS team, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So it looked like that, but I was trying to use different plumbing and electrical material that I found at the builders' merchants to make these fans, but it was looking a bit ropey. So I've, I've gone with Caterpillar tracks from, I think it's the World Peacekeepers, Abrams. Mm. That's where it's at at the moment. Actual active Caterpillar tracks. And yeah. they did a damn fine job on those Abrams. Like, they move so freely. Kind of oh, makes yeah. me wish um, wish that uh, classic G.I. Joe tanks like the Mobat and Mauler were not motorized. Because mm. having the freedom to actually roll that sucker along the ground kind of beats having it you know do its own thing i mean we do play with our toys we're not remote control aficionados mm-hmm. but uh, I, you know, i'm thrilled about that because you know i silently uh, was in protest <laughs> about the idea of making it a hover tank and uh, well it's be- i kind of wanted it to be more futuristic looking than just a standard apc because it, it kind of Blended into the idea I was having about doing a Battle Force 2000 reimagining. And that was going to be their base of operation, like mobile headquarters and all their 
other bits of equipment and weaponry would sort of clip to it. And that sort of, they said so they'd carry that out and do sort of field testing, and this would be their home base. So that's why nice. I wanted Hover Fans. I wanted it to be a little bit more jazzy <laughs> than just a, <laughs> than just an APC. I'm pretty sure had I seen the the final results with Hover Fans, you would have won me over. But uh, me, I'm a kind of guy who likes to be able to drive his tanks through the mud. A Hover setup, you know, you kind of you 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 rob yourself of that 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 childlike joy. Anyways. I've heard enough of myself for one night. Uh, Rob, do you have anything you'd like to ask Jim the man, <laughs> Godfrey? Well, I, I was wondering, it sounds like you've been doing this for quite a while. What was the first thing that you customized? Like, where did, where did the, the, the fascination with customization come from? Well, I've not, yeah, I've not really been doing it a long while. That's the thing. I did a lot of kit building and miniature painting, like Warhammer 40,000 when I was a kid. Then I had a big, 20-year hiatus of not doing anything. But it was uh, it was seeing the POC 30th anniversary line for the first time. And I just thought they were amazing. I loved them. So I thought, right, I'm going to army build some of these. And then being in the UK, you start looking for uh, these online. It's like, oh, not available in the UK, really. Going to have to get them from the States. Oh, right, I'm going to have to pay twice the price, as you guys do, I'm sure, mm-hmm. just to get one mm-hmm. figure shipped over, and it's like, yeah, this ain't happening. And I hadn't really seen much customising until it was kind of, it was when I started listening to the podcasts. So I was listening to you guys, I was listening to uh, Flagpoints, uh, the Joe Customs podcast, and I started looking online at different customs. I thought, oh my god, you can make your own stuff out of these parts. These, these <laughs> modern era figures are so good for customizing because they, they come apart pretty easily and you can make so many combinations. Like the, the upper arm and the lower arm was a big thing. Mm. So I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna experiment. I've got, I might still have the skills from when I was younger, so I'm going to have a crack at this. And then you just start to realize, oh, damn, I can make my own figures. I can make my own army. I can make idealized versions of these figures. And so it's just, you know, once you get into it, I don't think you can really go back to just collecting. (laughs) You are the master of modesty. I mean, for, for someone to have found his way into customizing so casually, and yet have achieved your level of mastery, I'm like, damn. Uh, I mean, I'd like to think that that I could have a similar trajectory, but no ways. Uh, <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, you, you must have some... It can't just be Warhammer. Like, come on, Jim. You've got some acumen, some background in, uh, in the arts, surely. No, no, no. The thing is, the thing that sort of got my skills back up and running, I think, was just youtube <laughs> there are so many tutorials from so many amazing model painters kit bashers not just customizers it's sort of across the board of sort of military modeling that mm. if you sit down have a proper session absorb a load of these videos and have a crack at it it's there's nothing there's no questions that you come across that can't be answered from these tutorials so i think it's just it's a great time for starting off because remember when i started painting warm or 40k stuff we learned these things from like 
older brothers or you'd get the odd article in White Dwarf magazine or something. It wasn't, the, the information just wasn't there. So nowadays, yeah, you just sit down, make a cup of tea, whack on YouTube, get learning. And, you know, back then people were so secretive about that stuff. You know, yeah, they were, like, yeah. Like, how did you get this? Dry brushing. Oh, what's that? Uh, yeah, like, I can't tell you. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my army looks cool and your army looks cock. Exactly. That's that exactly how it was, uh, at least for me. But now I see that that whole scene is, is completely changed. And I fully agree with what Jim has just said. For starters, uh, somehow you have more patience as an adult. Or, or should I say... So when you start off doing stuff like this, you you kind of rush because you're like, oh, wow, I can't wait to get to this part of the whole build, you know, and you, you don't care about seam lines in the case of, like, building Gundam, for example. You, you start caring about seam lines and whatever, and you kind of go straight for the kill because you want to do the painting or whatever. And you go for it. And then you sort of look at it and you're like, oh, well, I just turned a 500 Rand model kit into a piece of shit. Go with me. <laughs> this is why I can never ever be a customizer because i just want to snap the damn thing together so i can play with it i would exactly. ignore the seam lines hell i wouldn't even paint it i would just be like yay gundam let's do battle <laughs> well, you see and the nice thing is gundam accommodates people like you you know in in that regard that oh, in the sense that people like you no 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 i don't oh I don't, it's agonizing sorry, paul's a goddamn racist <laughs> I did not mean to make it sound uh, <laughs> condescending. I just that you know they know their market so well that they color the parts of the plastic and they make the kit very easy to assemble because they like money. No, they love money. Uh, they they love money a lot so much that they've taken the 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 decals out of the boxes and then you still have to buy them separately. So. You know, oh, it's great. They, they're sort of learning how capitalism works. Jim, if anyone wants to, to look up your, I suppose, maybe top three YouTube channels for customizing tips, in case we get any questions in that regard, who are your go-to guys? Or do you just like, I mean, it doesn't really settle on one or two contributors. It's like, type something into the search box. One guy is uh, Orc Painter Nerd. Yeah, he's great. He's brilliant, mm-hmm. isn't he? And he's got such a vast quantity of videos on there on all sorts of things i kind of i've never used an airbrush till a couple of years ago and that guy was just like answered everything i needed to get going and to and to develop as well the more you sort of practice and have a crack at it and you more you think well oh i could maybe improve this he's got the answers he's he's incredible and i don't know figure wise you kind of kind of picked it up from different places i guess if you go to joe customs they have got quite a array of tutorials on there not necessarily video tutorials but written ones that's quite good for getting underway on figure customization they sort of they've got a run through of like torso cracking and you know boil and popping and all those sort of basics that people don't necessarily know before they've sort of somebody's told them it's like i didn't i, I had no clue what boil and popping was <laughs> How do you crack your torsos and you put them in a vice? I've got a special tool I made. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, That's true. Nothing, it's, nothing spectacular. It's like it's uh, a set of plumbers adjustable wrenches. So it's like looks like a giant pair of pliers. Okay. And you can adjust the um, pressure you put on it. And then I gaffer taped a you know like a wrench socket set. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the little cylindrical sockets, you uh, find one that fits neatly into most Joe figures' armpits. You take that to one of the uh, heads of this wrench, and on the other head, you gaffer tape just a bit of padding. And so you sort of lift the figures, one of his arms up, sit his armpit into the socket, or the socket into his armpit, and then the other head, the padded one, mm-hmm. rests on his shoulder on the other side. And because you can uh, apply varying pressure with this tool, you can just gently squeeze it. You can feel it when it's going to go, and it just kind of explodes. But <laughs> Oh, it's fun, isn't it? <laughs> I've done it once. I've done it once. I wanted to yeah. put Rise of Cobra Duke arms onto a X-Men Origins Wolverine Gambit torso. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the fact that he had brown, I don't know, jacket arms, even when you remove the rubber jacket. Anyways, so I put it in a sock, <laughs> this G.I. Joe body, and put it in a vice and cranked it until it exploded into about six different parts. Was it um, a clean break along the seam? It was a clean break along the seam. It was perfect. I can only imagine I got lucky because, yeah, that was the most amateurish way of going about that. Literally, a sock around an action figure and putting it in a vice, which I then, you know, tightened. There is a more amateurish way. Oh, really? It's like just putting a um, small flathead screwdriver in that same spot under the armpit and just whacking it with a hammer. Mm. <laughs> so you you end up with like a, a screwdriver-sized notch under the arm more often than not, but it, it does work. But I think I find it a bit brutal. No man, <laughs> I, I I could follow about fifty percent of your your description, but it sounds pretty professional. So stick <laughs> stick with it. It doesn't look like it. It looks like something a, a savage has made. It's this this tool wrapped in gaffer tape. I'll I'll, uh, I'll send you a picture for you. <laughs> show notes. I'd love that actually. <laughs> Action figures beware. If you've seen this, it means your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, while we're still on the topic of, of customizing and things like that, ideally, how do you get your fodder? How do you get your, your parts? Because I feel that not living in America, I find that it's something like it's really difficult to do. And it, it always amazes me that, that guys have got these huge surpluses of Joe arms and heads and bums and everything lying around to customize with. Like, so, so what's your secret? How do you build your stash? I started off just buying, uh, lots on eBay, just random lots. Doesn't matter what it was kind of thing. So as long as the modern, modern era Joe's, I'd have them. And then some of the Facebook groups are quite good. If you can get a local Facebook group, we've got a, we've got one in there that's UK based GI force. A lot of guys on there will trade you stuff as well, which is mm. always nice because everybody's got stuff they want to get rid of. And also on eBay, those Hong Kong sellers are pretty good. <laughs> you know, the guys that seem to have pages and pages of different types of figures all from one company. I don't know how they get them, but you can get like, I bought about, I think it was about 15 Steel Brigade Delta figures. Oh, wow. I think they were about a quid each. And those Steel Brigade Deltas are, are quite sought after. Uh, oh, I don't mate, know if you know that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've destroyed no. all mine. 
No, guys are like, no, it's like hot shit for some collectors. Uh, I I don't get it. I mean, they look cool. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, but they're hot shit. I think they were very limited release on the on the pegs in the states. Really? So sculptors have definitely taken advantage there. So they're really good yeah. base for customs. They've got really good cool. so just base body. <laughs> and then also, I mean earlier you're just talking about how you can't just walk into a shop and just get gi joe stuff or rather that you picked up some pursuit of cobra joe stuff where did you find stuff like that i mean would you find that typically find that in your toys r us or the hamleys or whatever toy shop because i've had friends who've actually found gi joe figures in england but like in in new stores you know not like vintage stuff so Mm. i mean was that stuff like on the shelves there and on the pegs and yeah so i guess what i'm saying is did you have to, like, lie to go into the toy shop <laughs> to buy Joe's? Were they, like, so popular that you had to, like, snag a handful of them every time you got a chance? Well, no. I mean, when I say I, I saw the POC figures, I mean, I, I saw them online, images oh, of them. When I, yeah, when I thought, when I first saw them, I was like, right, I'm going, I'm heading out to Toys R Us to go and see. I had the idea that they'd be on general release in toy shops. I hadn't really been in toy shops much for a long time and all I found was I think it's the only figure I've ever found is a Rise of Cobra Baroness on the shelves in Toys R Us that's it modern era yeah she was super popular uh, I, she was extremely <laughs> popular all the shops just stocked a whole bunch of her because they knew that she was just going to sell out <laughs> <laughs> slap in the face it seems like if you're not in the States uh, the only time you're ever going to see G.I. Joe toys is if it's tied into a movie. Well, yeah, yeah. at least at least the Yanks are getting a taste of that medicine now as well, because that seems like Hasbro's standing order on G.I. Joe. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and yeah, this is drag. a vehicle to push it, like a film or an animated show. No toys. Yep. A good place to get parts. I mean, I know they're in the States as well, but you can get a bunch of stuff that you really want from some of the casters that are out there, you know, sort of AVAX Lab, Raging yes, Spoon, yeah. those guys. If you need want a specific head, say, and it saves a lot of dollar, not having to buy the whole figure, you can get a fantastically detailed, nice, clean cast from someone like AVAX Lab for a few quid, three pound a head, I think it is, maybe. You're looking at sort of probably mm. 15, 20 quid a figure. It's, you can wow. you sort of you know, I often bulk buy load, go through his website, pick out the ones I want. You get a lovely bag of heads and bits and bobs sent to you. And he's he's one of these guys that still throws in a load of extras for people. Oh, cool, buy, man. Is, yeah, he's a really good bloke. I know Rob's um, got stuff that he wants to ask you as well. <clears throat> I can feel it. There's like a tingle in the back of my neck. Like Rob's like, I want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Rob sense tingling. Well, I was just going to mention, I mean, it's, it's incredible that there's this, there's a level of customization that, I mean, I think me and Steven at least have, have not reached. I mean, I think the furthest I've ever gone is like dry brushing, uh, sci-fi, the modern sci-fi. So he doesn't look so garishly green. And then I suppose swapping parts out for vintage figures. I mean, we kind of created different characters using that method. I was just like you mentioned the Warthog. Um, what else are you currently working on? That that's kind of like really awesome. What uh, vehicle-wise? Yeah, I suppose vehicle-wise. Because I mean, I suppose both. 
<laughs> well, the, the, the vehicles kind of fascinate me more because it sounds like a lot more customization goes on there, you know, in kind of like stripping entire pieces of the vehicle off and like, you know, like completely rebuilding it. Um, I mean, that sounds really amazing. It's probably a lot, you know, I wouldn't say easier. Maybe it is easier to do a vehicle, actually. It's kind of more methodical. Um, you haven't got all the problems. I mean, articulation on figures is a real pain in the arse, so doing a vehicle is kind of, it's a lot more simple. Um, yeah, it sounds like it's a lot more straightforward, but also you can kind of get more a lot, you can kind of get more a lot more creative. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you just carve, you know, most, most G.I. Joe vehicles have got quite a lot of empty space within them, haven't they? They're often two or three shell pieces clipped together and there's sort of, a lot of empty space within them so once you sort of open them up what I tend to do is open them up try and visualise what I want to do and then just use cardboard and start templating out kind of with cardboard and sellotapes of within the cavities how you want to rebuild it it's, it's you know it's quite it's fairly simple and that way you know with a vehicle you can you can just glue random pieces onto it and it can look fantastic once it's sort of airbrushed up. You know, you look at look on say a uh, a vintage Star Wars vehicle, and on top of them, like something like the Millennium Falcon, it is just a mass of sculpted Dribble. bits. But they're just <laughs> got random bits, aren't they? Pipes mm. going here, boxes here, a cylindrical thing, a ball, a, a what's gonna call it, going off to another thingy, and it's just do that to a vehicle, and you create something that looks quite advanced and quite detailed and it's not a lot of thinking process into it. Jim, do you ever feel like you've missed your calling as uh, a special effects uh, sort of artist for BBC or anything like that? Because a lot of how you explain that is very much like how I've seen guys um, scratch build uh, spaceships and whatever's for TV series, you know, when they do physical props. And uh, it's exactly as you described it. You know, they'll go and grab like a, a bottle of dishwashing liquid, for example, and cut it in half. And that will serve as the cockpit. And then they will go and grab a whole bunch of other stuff and actually literally like tape that stuff together. And then just start slapping styrene and kibble and model kit parts from other model kits. And yeah, man, sometimes I, th- I think that maybe you've just missed your calling or or am I wrong? Are you trying to make me cry, Paul? Oh <laughs> yes, I've wasted my life, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I'd uh, love to do that, but I don't know. Do they still? Do they really still do it like that? Is it not more so computer modeling goes into yeah. special effects now? You know that is true. A lot of that does, but you know there's still a lot of focus on actually building physical models and then doing 3D scans or taking photographs of those models and then turning them into fully-fledged uh, 3D models for camera. It's got a lot to do with the fact that those sort of realistic... Uh, I can't remember. Uh, Rob, what's the term called again when they use, like, real explosions and stuff like that in movies now? I suppose compositing or something like that? Where they... no, yeah, but they use real explosions. So, like, they actually use real effects, uh, practical effects. There we go. Practical, practical effects. effects. My goodness, Paul. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. I just... Yeah, I couldn't think of the word right there and then. Anyway, um... But Put yeah, down is, the computer. <laughs> well, that the thing is that yeah, there we go. There's a lot of there's a, a growing sort of need for practical effects, especially in the sort of indie 
film uh, market where a lot of guys are sort of opting for practical effects in their little indie movies or fan-made films and whatever. Jeez, because dude, don't overlook a, a, a fella from the British Isles called Christopher Nolan. Yeah, he loves practical <laughs> effects. I mean, flipping <laughs> well, I mean, trucks if, over if you can opposite. actually photograph something, if it's within the realm of possibilities, why not? You know, it's, yeah. it's the, the opposite school of thought to George Lucas, who was like, man, if I can render this entire thing... You know, without shooting a single roll of film, let me do that. You know, I can yeah. constantly change it because he hated going on location. He hated gathering the practical, you know, the blood and guts of the thing. Like the film itself, that was that was the least interesting part to him. He was a he was an editor. He was a yeah. kind of a behind the scenes. Let's see how we can cut it. Let's see. That's where the true magic happens. That's where the movie is made. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah. <clears throat> Practical effects, yeah, man, definitely. Like, not just indie films. Massive, massive films. It's, you know, it's always going to have a place. Yeah, maybe you should I give say. it a shot sometime, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just walk, walk into the Beeb or ITV, see what they've got on. Yeah. You guys need some, some kit bashing. Yeah, look at this whale, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do that, mate. Love it. Although there is the thing where you, um, if you're making something down the shed for yourself, there's no pressure, is there? Mm. Beaver away with it as much as you want all day. If you put your, you're in a timeline, you create something fantastic. And the pressure's on. Yeah, that's yep. true. It shouldn't start feeling like work. No. No, you're right. Yeah, I'd love to. Answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a custom figure of yours that has risen to the top of the pile in terms of, I suppose, being close to your heart? Uh, it can be because it was a particularly difficult, challenging build, or, or perhaps uh, just a character that you really wanted to realize and you thought, man, I nailed it. Mm, I think recently that one I did for Cujo, that was quite a difficult one to sort of parcel up and ship off because it was like, oh man, I love this little dude. I want to keep all of him. But it was going to Cujo, so it was like, well, yeah, it's, it's it's really nice to give something that you actually like away to someone else. But yeah, that I I did. Because that figure took a long time to come to fruition. Because um, I think it must have started off about when you guys received yours. Mm-hmm. Started talking to Cujo about doing his, and he wanted a kind of a standard steel brigader at first, but that sort of represented the things he'd put on his initial steel brigade application form. So he was trying. Oh, so he was trying to remember the uh, military specialties that he put on, and oh. <laughs> there was All there was can... no room for a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Not back then. Not on the pro forma. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't, suppose they didn't want kids to be turning into dark magicians at a young age. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> But it's gorgeous, and I could not believe that the helmet actually fits that immaculate head. Like, no, it doesn't. It does amaz- It does. No, You've no. Got pictures that, of it that, with the Steel Brigade helmet on. No, the Steel Brigade helmet is like a solid head. 
that just clips onto a peg on the backpack and then you replace the head. It's an, it's an alternative oh, head. Okay, you little sneak. Because there was no, there's no way to get a real nice hairdo on that guy to fit on yeah. your arm. Hence, hence they copped out with fucking balaclava heads. Exactly. Oh. Any helmeted head's always got kind of very thin, flat-featured mm. quality to it because you just, you just can't, can you? Without the helmet looking absolutely bulbous. And well, sort of it was a gorgeous, gorgeous compromise. Uh, yeah. Man. Anyone listening to this who hasn't seen pictures of this figure, whoo, hit up our Facebook group. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> That's definitely one of my favorite heads that I've done, the actual the um, unhelmeted skull for Cooge. Mm. Uh, I take it you, you, you added um, hair to it, sort of yeah. expanded yeah, upon the basic figurehead. Yeah, it was the Duke, was the Resolute Duke who's got the sort of com gear and what looks like a sort of thermal suit that comes up to his chin, that one. Yeah, and then carved off the head, top of the head, and redid it with sort of slick back hair. I actually didn't know what Cooge's hair looked like. It turned out it does look like that. I just assumed Cooge would have some kind of LA hipsterish kind of do going on, so I was like, yeah, stick it back. And yeah, I was right. <laughs> I'll call it hairstyle anti establishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> JD did an O ring version of Cujo's custom from Jim. Really? Did anyone see this? No, I did not see that. Uh, I haven't it's, seen that. It's priceless. You know, it's <laughs> taking all the elements and just kind of. Boiling it down to the the basic um, oh, ring style. Is it on our uh, Facebook group? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Yeah, it's on there. Um, guys, I have a surprise <laughs> guest who wants in, and I'm adding him right now. Since it's topical, since he's been brought up a number of times, we might as well just say hello to our brother from North America. <laughs> Hello, Curtis. Greetings, gentlemen. Cujo. Cujo. It's Cujo. Cujo. Apologies. It's all good, brother. Cujo, uh, I, I, I take it you and Jim are acquainted well enough already, but here's the man. Hey, Jim. Pleasure uh, chatting you up. How are you, man? Well, you know me from the tweets, dude. It's yeah. uh, We're playing it pretty close to the vest over here. <laughs> it's getting rough over there. It's hard to say. I'm American, so you know I'm a... I'm kind of dramatic, but, uh... <laughs> Did you know we were just talking about you, Cooch? Um, my ears were burning, but Steven said as much. <laughs> we thought you'd sensed it and astral, astrally projected yourself over here. <laughs> it's it's good to uh, catch Paul and uh, Robert as well, not to ignore you guys. Yeah, uh, man. Obviously, I, I, I don't think you're ignoring me. <laughs> nope. How are you, Cooch? You're back from, uh... Parts unknown. I did. I, I went up to Northern California. Did you go into the cave? You know what? I I can one up the story, but before I get there, I asked my friend who still lives on the property adjacent. I said, "You know those people. You want to see if we can hike in there?" So we kind of walked into the entrance, and dude, poison oak was rampant. But aside from that, it's also harvest season, and I think those people are growers. So I, I don't. You know, you don't want to be walking around in people's backyard, so... Right on, man. The AK-47s come out. Well, you know, people got to protect their investment. But what's weirder, 
much weirder is I chatted up a lot of the people that have kind of moved into the properties and, and neighbors I knew growing up. Um, and, and the property that I used to live on is huge chunk of natural preserve land that's owned by the state, etc. And they've recently built this facility tucked away in, in one of the coves on the thing. And so, like, I've, I've hiked up there, and I've, I've actually been in the facility, but it was before I was really looking for such things. And this is all true, no embellishment. But they have, like, a five-foot concrete retaining wall around the whole thing. And I noticed that the address that they, they assigned for the building was 2130. And I was like, oh, hello. So <laughs> <laughs> I went back to my friend who works for or worked for them and has parted company, but was there for the blueprints, was there for, you know, a lot of the business. And he goes, oh, no, they, they created that address when they made that building. So now the address on the road is 2130, whereas I lived at that house, it was a different address before. So they've kind of uh, moved the address up the hill to this facility. And, you and think I it's about, a new Jump Street program. Carry on. <laughs> I'm well, kidding. I, no, I Keep think going. that without, without, you know, dominating this conversation but like i think it is a signature i think like if you were if if stuff hit the fan and you needed a safe house i think they would direct you to something like that you know Mm. know. but no i i did talk to my friend and he's like yeah that dude's deep in the bohemian grove scene so you know enough said uh but enough of that shit as far (laughs) as action figures i don't know i've been thinking about jim a lot because i mean jim from your side action figure customization is it now time for you guys to kind of lead the game from the corporate level the future of gi joe is it in the hands of the customizers well <laughs> according to hasbro absolutely because they're not putting out anything new yeah if you if you look at the uh the other smaller companies that are bringing stuff out they're very much customizer minded aren't they this or all the task force the hacks and you've got what else we've got? Things like Hell Screamers. Hell Screamers? That's news to me, man. You know, I haven't heard of those guys either. It's about to say the same thing. It's kind of a, uh, it's a space-based 1 to 18th figure range. And they've got, they've also got sort of a Starfighter. Um, it's like a, a Kickstarter. Same as, um, the other guys. Um, really nice stuff. Really lovely designs. I have a look. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think even if Hasbro went away, I think this scale and these, the guys that are making these stuff are, uh, see, all seem to come from the uh, customizer community. So I reckon if Hasbro just gave up on this this scale and walked away and T.I. Joe disappeared into the ether, I think the, the hardcore G.I. Joe fans would carry on through these guys and maybe customizing would become even more of a way of enjoying and using these figures yeah i mean like the the four horsemen for who who did a lot of maddie collector stuff i mean they um they typically were doing uh the he-man uh mm. the he-man figures but before then i think they were just doing prototypes and whatever for other companies and then they sort of proposed the idea of redoing the he-man figures to Matt, uh, to Maddie and Maddie collector was like okay well then Maddie collector started um, when they did that whole thing and I mean and I think they've since gone off and 
I think uh, I can't. Uh, I might be mistaken here, but I think they started Vitruvian hacks or something like Vitruvian hacks. Uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're doing a. They've got like a Kickstarter for. There was a toy line called Power Lords back in I think it was eighties. Toy yes, line. They're, yes, they're, they're yes. doing a new range of figures for that at the moment. Kickstarter for that, and they yeah, again sorry. they look they look lovely. Like the the bodies are very much kind of that sort of standard manga power armored look but they're so nice with the sculpting getting better with proportions and, and kind of anatomy getting better is there anybody out there that you've seen that does kind of culture or personality on characters better than you or somebody that you kind of aspire to be on that level <laughs> man no, no one's better than me cooch there you go <laughs> <laughs> no um i think there's I don't know what his real name is, but there's a customizer called Stronox. And uh, I, when, I, when, I, yeah, when I first got into customizing, well, before I got into customizing, when I was just I was kind of collating images of stuff that I really liked, his, his work what stood out. I was, at the start, deliberating between whether to go for um, a sort of mass retail look to it, so just sort of base coat it. No shading, no glazing, no washes, no highlighting. So it looked like something from the actual toy line. But it was his style that made me think, yeah, it looks way better when you when you really bring out all that sculpt detail. So, yeah, he's he's the man for me. Jesus. <laughs> that sounds creepy, but yeah. We've all put our foot in our mouth plenty of times around here. Um, <laughs> Can I get a righteous amen? Amen, amen. <laughs> what about uh, when you hear things like Hasbro's not going to drop any figures for two years, stuff like that, and you have the ability to create new characters with existing parts or custom parts, do you kind of feel like that's a challenge to maybe go mainstream, or is this just a hobby for you? Um. Uh, I've got, I've got a I've got a pal over here in the UK who's an he's an awesome customizer and we have been discussing going down that route. It's just you know it's just head in the clouds kind of stuff most of the time. But clouds are getting closer to the ground, brother. You're right. Yeah, I mean there, there seems to be so much out there. Like all the guys you've mentioned, all these little small companies <laughs> cropping up. And the, the Kickstarter model, I know it, it costs an absolute fortune to get production figures out there, but it's um, it seems more like the the gap between the hobbyist and the big corporations is narrowing. It also doesn't hurt that you have one of the strongest currencies in the world. So, I mean, getting stuff mass-produced, I mean, you can get it mass-produced offshore, like uh, in Malaysia and whatever, just the same way Hasbro did. And uh, I'm pretty sure you guys would do quite well. Anyway, up to Cujo. Cujo, go. Oh, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to get Jim to pick a fight with people. That's all. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> no, uh, punch in the face, Cooch. <laughs> metaphorically, obviously. No, uh, what about, like, when you since you're a customizer, when you see, like, the collector's club and they drop their line, Uh-oh. is it kind of like when me and Paul are looking at other art, Joe artists and kind of, like, going, hmm... Or are you kind of understanding of where they're at? Oh, I see who you wanted me to go for now. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Joe Berg goes smack talk. Round one, fight. 
No, I, I, I have the Collector's Club back. I mean, I don't know what kind of money they're working with, but they make chicken salad out of, you know, what. So, I mean. Yeah, I, I know I, I know what you're saying. I think I have no idea what kind of constraints the club are under. But, yeah, I don't I don't like the figures that they produce. Uh, they're just... Well, what they're, about so the they're so line? lacking in kind of essentially bulk but I just mean like added detail I don't know it's, it's obviously it's obviously to make a one-off custom it's very different from making something mass produced but the kind of the way uh, I feel about the companies that you mentioned um, all those people that are making figures now like the one thing that is missing is the story that G.I. Joe brought to the characters so I mean like if we can put stories to customs then you might be dangerous, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely what needs to happen with these companies. I think they need some kind of um, background story to the uh, to the figures. Pay plus. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's 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 essentially why we. Well, I mean, it's why I still love GI Joe as a reasonably minded forty year old bloke. It's it's mainly because of Larry Hammer's writing. Still, it's still. Is I hold it up there as some of the greatest comic books ever made, especially special missions. Uh, they just create they created the actual the real characterizations for me, and I think some of these companies. I mean, health. I know Health Screamers are working on a comic book to go with theirs. So I think that's what these companies need to do. And maybe you know, if these start, if these become more popular and more mainstream, maybe Hasbro will pull the finger out of their arse and sort of actually. So actually tie, tie these toys into a property, into the comics, or whether it's an animation or the movies properly. Mm. No, but I, I do agree with you guys there, because I've looked at Vitruvian hacks, and in fact, Jim, I was going to ask you that very question, like, why do you still dig G.I. Joe? But, yeah, if I look at Vitruvian hacks, I think they're fantastic toys. I mean, every time I see them on YouTube or whatever, I'm like, these are great, but I have no place for them in my collection, because... They, um, I understand what, what they're designed to Paul? be. Paul? I was just at your <laughs> house today. Dude, you've got such an eclectic collection. I'm sure you yeah, can like, find a spot yeah, for Medusa. But I don't have a space. Yeah, but I don't have a place for Medusa, even though that Medusa figure is fine. Um, and those <laughs> skeletons are great. But, like, I'm sitting here going, come on, Vitruvian Hacks, just do, just do just something. Just do Simon like, Belmont, if- and then I could do a Castlevania setup. Fuck, you know how much I was thinking about that today. I'm like, why don't I have a Simon Belmont figure to watch me play Castlevania for Instagram today? Why? You know? Come on, Vitruvian Hacks. Grant Paul his wish. I mean, we're getting freaking Bucky O'Hare, you know, which is awesome, by the way. You know, that's coming. But, like, yeah. But I think as soon as they throw an Oriental flavor on that, like a a ninja or a samurai or... A uh, Kung Fu Master or something. I'm probably going to be in there. I mean, I'm looking at those articulated icons or something where these guys have made um, a ninja that looks exactly like Storm Shadow, and it's very much on purpose. But they're six inch, um, so it's kind of a cool toy. It's just not my scale, but I am tempted because they got like this really cool Kung Fu Master, and I wouldn't mind a, a Storm Shadow in that size because why not? <laughs> Okay, it doesn't fit in a vehicle, fair. Okay, we've had the argument. I, uh, Steven, you win. I understand. But still, you see? <laughs> you didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> wow. 
You know me too well. <laughs> hey, that reminds me. Jim, is there a mass production figure that you think is so good you would never deign to do a custom version? Or there's there's nothing you could do to improve <laughs> upon it? Mm, I kind of... Mm, yeah. Well, not that I wouldn't do anything to it, but I do think it's very perfect in its in its geared-up form, and it's the 30th anniversary Iron Grenadier Heavy Gunner. Oh, wow. I love it. Yeah. I think when that's got all its gear on and it's posed, it's just... I know the gun's a little oversized, mm-hmm. but, I mean, the smart gun that came with those Colonial Marine... Who made those? Was it Hot Toys? Uh, it's mm. a Japanese... Oh, oh, no, that. Oh, right, okay. The, the, the biggest scaled... Gun. No, the... The one to eighteen. Joe scale one, yeah. Oh, is it by Hot Toys? Is it Hot Toys? Yeah, it's it's uh it's like a it's some funny dis- division. I I'm trying to remember what higher toys they call higher toys. Yeah, yeah, their their smart gun was a little bit too you know too skinny. So I mean, somewhere in the middle ground, that smart gun be perfect, but still, it's a figure. <laughs> so there's room, I love that. There's room for Marauder Inc. They, to to take a, a crack at the smart gun. <laughs> oh, I hope yeah. they do. Come on, yeah. give us the middle ground. You know, it's kind of a a good idea is to like get all these different figure companies on the same page, and they can all just make warring factions. Yeah, how cool would that actually be if two different groups of these companies like they they agreed on like a on a design and a scale, and then one of them made Cobra and the other one made GI Joe. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Who would you want to yeah. make what? Who would I want to? Yeah, who would you want to make? Which side? Oh, jeez. Uh, I'd probably pick Cobra, and it's just because I know that Cobra just opens itself up so much for interesting designs that if I had to only spend money on one side, I would probably spend my money on the Cobra side just because of the variety and, and the imagination that would go into it. I'm, Although I'm wondering which company would have more business. I mean, Cobra gives its, or lends itself more to army building. So that might be putting them at an unfair advantage in terms of sales. But then again, if the G.I. Joe company put together a really cool range of green shirts, mm-hmm. that's interesting. I wonder if it's ever been done before. Two separate companies, both taking a crack at one, one property. property, but doing the, <laughs> the opposing sides. But that would be very cool. And what they could probably do is take G.I. Joe and... Uh, with the G.I. Joe thing, you know, just to, to sort of bolster the ranks or to fatten it up a bit, they they could do, like, Arctic Gear Scarlet kind of thing. And, like, Scarlet's custom Arctic gear, gear. So that is very distinctly Scarlet's Arctic Gear. You know, that kind of thing. Yes, kind of like what Hasbro did, but a bit more routine, you know, so that you get an Arctic set of the Joes. So maybe they focus on a, on a small number of the Joes instead of just making the whole roster and then, like, give them cool different outfits and kind of designs. I sort of know where you stand on that kind of thing, Steve. But yeah, I think it could be interesting. You but know, yeah, you know, when, what, when the 25th yeah. anniversary was still twinkling in the eye, you know, it hadn't really fully gotten into. You know, the modern era construction hadn't taken on just yet, and um, Marauder Inc. were just making guns. That is exactly when I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if you had basic bodies that you could get in multiple colors and had modular additional parts? Mm. And I guess. Yeah. That was that was an apple in the eye of Marauder John because he went and did it. I don't yeah. know if I dig the execution though. Like now, now my my opinion goes the other way because I'm like, 
you know, the problem with all these additional parts, they are customizable, they are modular, but they fall apart, they pop off. Mm. Well, You've got to actually make up your mind and super glue the damn thing in. Yeah, that's true. In order to play, <laughs> which then takes away from the customizability or the, the modular nature. I was just going to pose a question to the room. And this is more of a culture question, but like doing kind of like Scarlet and winter wear, stuff like that, because of the kind of the way that our culture with G.I. Joe and just general culture over here is dovetailing right now. Do you feel like that we almost need like a new a new set of characters and just leave not leave the G.I. Joe name behind but leave the old characters behind? Because people are almost kind of twisting them and stuff now. Not that it, it taints the characters, but I'm just, I guess this is a culture question. Do we just need a, a fresh start, a new team? You picking a fight again, Cooch? No, but <laughs> it seems relevant. It is, yeah. Um I think yes. I think how exciting was it when you were a kid when you got the figure and you turned it you flipped it over and looked at the all the new characters that was the most exciting part of getting a new line of Joes so why not yeah for us it was like hey cool let's see who we can't get in this country yay no I'm <laughs> kidding I'm kidding we I actually guess I'll never got have that good. silhouette <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> who is that guy like you know, what is Crystal Ball? Oh, you know. dude, we we used to study the silhouettes, and you're like, oh, that guy's holding a knife. I think I'm gonna like that guy. <laughs> that is so cool. That is very very cool, actually. I I I admire that you guys had that. I mean, we were still sending off um, our Steel Brigade answers in like what 1992. I mean, we missed the boat big time. <laughs> well, dude, the the back of the GI Joe file card was like kind of like the blueprint of marketing it just had everything on there it had flag points it had you know trailers coming trailers or coming figures it had a movie it had everything mm. i don't know that's that's what i'm thinking like i'm ready for a new team i'm ready for a new set of specialties a new combination of character types to go with those specialties Expanding out from what has just previously been said by, you know, by you, Paul and Jim, like absolutely the most exciting thing was admiring the card back and seeing like which figures you'd pine for the most. And a huge part of that was their equipment, which defined what their role was. It's like, do I want this guy with the big anti-aircraft bazooka or do I want the astronaut Joe? Like, the specialties were so varied. What I'm becoming more and more disenfranchised with and what ultimately swung me back in favor of being a vintage collector over a modern era collector is this notion that our action toys, our soldier toys, have to be these hyper-realistic, you know, beige people. (laughs) You know, they're all wearing olive drab and they're all just toting a machine gun and they all look like they stepped off the, you know, the screen caps from Modern Warfare or Call of Duty. You know, hyper-realistic, very cool-looking figures. But ultimately, they just look almost too real-world to be visually intriguing. Like, the thing about Joe in, in my sort of heyday of it, which was sort of 86 to uh, 89, was... The colors, the variances, like no two Joes looked like they would complete a 
a unit aesthetic. They they never they always looked like a bit of an odd like a motley crew, but that made for exciting toys. You know, you would absolutely idolize each individual figure. You wouldn't just be concerned with like putting together a cool, realistic-looking squad. Well, at least that's how I felt. I mean, it's through GI Joeberg and this this project that I've discovered that everyone had a slightly different take on GI Joe. Some people like the hyper-realistic stuff of the early run. Some people like the more character-driven middle part of the line, and some people like the wacky way-out concepts that really just rip the roof off your play patterns in the latter part of GI Joe. And I am that guy. I like to smash up my Ninja Force with my Star Brigade. You know, have an Alley Viper cruising down the street, being the, the sort of the boss character to beat. I mean, that's me. So for me, GI Joe needs to be driven by specialties. And a very eclectic mix. And really unique accessories. I hold in my hand Stalker version 2's kayak. And I think to myself, this is a deluxe figure. There's so much stuff that he came with. There's so many possibilities that existed within that plastic bubble. What an awesome gift it was to receive this figure. He wasn't just a guy toting a rifle. Anyway, so that's yeah, that's 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 my long, very long-winded way of answering uh, what I'd like to see from GI Joe. Stephen, are you enjoying a beverage right now? I was. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, the the glass is the glass is long empty now. I think it might be time to uh, curtail this second installment of our hundredth episode jamboree. Yeah, like I say, that's enough for me for a while. Someone else take the mic. Rob, I haven't heard your voice enough, bro. <laughs> well, I, well, my 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 last question my, is probably my most important question um, <laughs> because I always have to swing it back um, around to a topic that is very close to my heart. I, do, I mean, I could talk about it for hours, but I, I like it when other people talk about it for hours too, and that's scoop. And <laughs> <laughs> I want to know from Jim, like, what is your what is your favorite part, or what do you like most about Scoop, the figure? <laughs> oh, Scoop. Jeez. Oh, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pulling a Cujo here and asking you to hate on him. You, you have to like him. There has to be something. <laughs> there has to be something you like about him. The thing about Scoop is when he laid his naked body under that ceremonial sacrificial table in G.I. Joe Cobra and Oh wow And <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it Globulus carved his heart out? You just went for a one shot kill right there, man. Oh man I don't like that. I'm gonna cry myself to sleep now. Sorry, Robbie. No, in an age of television, Scoop has got to be, like, one of the main characters. I mean, I say an age of television, we're fucking, like, 50 years deep, but... I mean, the age like, of the internet now. <laughs> yeah, well, here's, here's a question that we're probably all unprepared for. Not to derail Rob's uh, question. Is it, like, you, you mentioned specialties. Like, if you, if you brought one character to life, just specialty-wise, you don't have to flesh them out. Uh, anything like that, everybody in the room, like, what specialty would you want to bring to a new team? Great question. 
Oh man, and and obviously you need to keep some awareness of what the figure would ultimately look like and what it would come with. Yeah. Well, that's involved, brother. That's like a whole episode right there. Well, <laughs> no. Like, let's have some candid answers. None of us are prepared for this, but does anything rush to mind, guys? I'd probably say psyops. It's important <laughs> to be able to. No, I think it's it's very important to kind of um, shape the way that people think about things. Because if you get them to think about something in a certain way, I mean, you've beaten them before you even got to the battlefield. John Sue. Yeah. Well, what, what would what would they what would come with that figure nowadays? A cell phone. <laughs> a cell phone. Um. A, a a social studies probably like a gender studies a degree or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Probably yeah, a cell and, phone. And and what what if it had a weapon that really shoots? Uh, what would that be? <laughs> <laughs> Like a like a t-shirt gun. <laughs> like I'm not even joking. Like a t-shirt gun would probably make a lot of sense. No, it would be yeah. a wicked Twitter hand, dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. I like it. Uh, does that mean I I got to shoot an idea out? Um, Please sh- I w- shoot an idea out for 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 us. <laughs> I would have what is essentially a listener, uh, a, like a, uh, a like a. What's the word? A high-tech surveillance uh, operator. So somebody who, uh, or who is able to connect into any kind of communication device. So not a hacker, but specifically somebody who can get into communications. So if they need to track somebody, you know, kind of, kind of what I think that they wanted to do with mainframe or with Breaker in the the GI Joe movie. Somebody like that, a, a snoop. Somebody who's very good at getting info. What he would be is he would be. Ex- like super normal, like it would be a Joe that's almost dressed in plain clothes, and his gear would be uh, cool, like listening devices that are plugged on him that look like everyday items, you know, like a like a cell phone and maybe uh, like a, a backpack or something. Meanwhile, it's got all the surveillance gear and all that kind of stuff, you know. I don't know. It's not it's not like the the coolest idea ever, but it is something that I feel is actually missing from GI Joe. It's um, but then again, would G.I. Joe use somebody like that? Yeah, well, they would have to, I suppose. Cobra has those dudes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, technically. Okay, I have been... I've kind of been working on a, a Battle Force 2000 update. But I kind of had it that the story where Dodger survives the, um, the artillery barrage in the oil fields didn't come away so scot-free he ended up losing an arm and a leg and an eye because he's part of this experimental group he ends up retaining a position within DARPA because of all the the information that they've gained through their field tests and so ends up with cybernetic enhancements as he sort of um, volunteers to be part of this program so my idea was, how about the new Battle Force 2025? They're all amputees of some sort. And the mm. way they've been offered a chance to get back into the field is by going into this program, basically becoming guinea pigs for different cybernetic experiments. So you could have a guy that's slaved into this little vehicle, and he comes with a figure that's like a telepresence robot. 
mm. or some of the some of the guys you know you could you could have them there they're almost like similar to the centurions figures where weapon systems snap onto them that's kind of yeah not so much a speciality it's, it's, not, it's not a specialty <laughs> having a leg blown off but you know they, <laughs> what they can do with what they've been replaced with is their kind of new theme robo chop yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> the new robo joes there you go oh, yeah man. outstanding suggestions all gents wow I got nothing. <laughs> I've been thinking about it this entire time. I'm like, hmm, I really wish I had a Joe that had a squirrel suit. But they kind of like that. <laughs> and I really wish they had a proper, like, bomb disposal Joe. Hmm, I don't know. I suppose that, yeah. Not that anyone's ever going to do an update of Lightfoot, but, you know, if you had a, a Joe that had a cool sort of EOD robot, that, that could be quite unique. Well, Tunnel Rat's got a cool EOD robot. Oh, damn it, so they did that as well. Yeah, they did. And let's be fair, I'm sure Lightfoot is dead because Salvo took his job. <laughs> damn. Like, like I, I mean, it's just this little conspiracy I have that, like, uh, what's his face? Tripwire is dead. Lightfoot is dead. Salvo's even dead. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a new character now, allegedly, but who gives a fuck? But, you know, yeah, it's my conspiracy. Easy, brother. We're journalists here. <laughs> what are you talking about? Salvo is in the new G.I. Joe. Salvo has been replaced by that female version. Yeah, so, so does that imply female. that Salvo is deceased? Yeah, well, as far as I know, I mean, you know, I can only guess. Anyway, I'm just, ha- I mean, that's... You probably uh, ate like- him. <laughs> oh, thank you, Robert. <laughs> Somebody found, finally found I'm that Molotov kidding. cocktail. <laughs> no, uh, jokes aside, I mean, I, I actually haven't read any of the new IDW stuff at all. I don't think I'm going to be in any rush to read it. Yeah, but my Lightfoot uh, thing does still hold fast. I really do think he's died, and that's why they need a replacement EOD guy. Like, seriously. <laughs> because, yeah, he's the EOD guy, man. Come now. You know, it's only Tunnel Rat's secondary secondary speciality. speciality. Tunnel Rat's like, oh, look, a bomb. I'm going to call Lightfoot. We don't have a Lightfoot. I'm going to call Salvo. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My yeah. theory on Tunnel Rat being a combat engineer at all is mainly just inspired by his role as a Tunnel Rat. I mean, in the Vietnam conflict... Like, wasn't it showcased in, in Platoon or some film? You know, you're a tunnel rat if you're basically, like, given a revolver and sent into the sort of North Vietnamese tunnel network. Like, good luck. <laughs> You've got to have some uh, experience in identifying and possibly disarming booby traps if that's your role. Because yeah. otherwise you wouldn't last very long. So that's that's why tunnel rat is nominally listed as EOD because... yeah. You know, in in that situation, absolutely, that's that's what he would do. He would have to clear this tunnel, for lack of a better word, this <laughs> like tunnel system. Rat. Yeah, you know, make sure that it is safe and that there's no one hiding, uh, waiting to booby trap you. And it, it happened to go to the guy who had the shortest stature, which you know, Tunnel Rat is a short figure, always portrayed as a short dude. Anyways, I'm getting way off topic. Um, still got nothing, guys. I mean, I was thinking like. Yeah, Paul had a great idea with the listening devices, like maybe a Joe who has, you know, snake cams and stuff like that. I'm like, how do you, how do you actually 
portray that. I don't know. I'm just clutching my version 2 stalker and thinking, man, what a cool figure. I want to find a stream. We just need a new <laughs> Joe with a kayak. Yeah, just give me a Joe with a kayak. Kayak Joe, he'll be on the team. <laughs> with Robert and Paul's pick, I mean, that's just a... That's an indicator that war is mental now. I mean, they all kind of fit into one cat. Like, they could be a sub-team. Mm. But, I mean, I think me and... Uh, I mean, I, we're probably not ready to, to sing its praises yet, but I know me and Jim are working on a, kind of a comic and, and maybe a two-pack or something like that. But, yeah, I think I think it's it's definitely time for G.I. Joe to have a, a conspiracy dude. And, I mean, he's already in there, so... I mean, I, I the Cujo figure I'll, I'll do a youtube um and do course but it's completely on point it's exactly what it needed to be and i, I think uh the two characters i'm gonna add to my at least my gi joe mythos are cujo and, and probably white lightning and that would essentially be uh scully and uh Mulder, uh <laughs> the gi joe versions so i i think that's that works nowadays cover girl and chuckles <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but she'd have to yeah. be medic or something. Actually, um, sorry, and this just came to mind now, but I would love it, and actually this is something I think I'm going to try and see if I can make myself, but I'd love to have a cobra cultist, like like a cobra high priest, somebody to keep the, the troops' uh, belief system in order. Let's uh, coordinate. Yeah, but like somebody that, you know, reports mm. to Serpent or like what somebody that's a, a bit priestess? Oh. Yeah, something like that, you know, like... Yeah, totally. And and also, um, I was reading some of the later issues of the original run, and there is a female Cobra scientist or science officer. She's blonde. Um, I can't recall her name right now. That's how important, you know, I think the character is. No, actually, honestly, I didn't read the book. I just saw the image, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this character. Dr. Biggles-Jones. Yes, I think that's the name. Is it Dr. Biggles-Jones, the, the blonde one who uh, makes that um, that prototype bat that hunts down uh, Scarlet? Sure. She also, yeah, and she also does work on the, uh, and I might be pulling this out of my ass, but I think uh, she works on the new brainwave scanner as well. She's kind of like uh, an assistant to Mindbender. Anyway, she should get a figure. There, there aren't enough female Cobras, and you know, it's, there's something compelling about her, her design at least. Anyway, so those are two figures that I'm missing from my Joe collection. <laughs> Moving right along. Is any, is there any other questions for Jim? We could talk for hours. I mean, Jim, <laughs> you are an extremely personable dude, man. It's fantastic. It's like you should co-host the show, is what I'm trying to say. There we go. <laughs> Okay. No, and also no. be in the next sorry guys <laughs> P45 next in the post um, so Steve was over at my house today uh, Jim and he got to uh, not only check out my new pterodrome um, we also hosed it down and washed it um, and I'm going to ask you a question about that now we also uh, played with the pogo and the water moccasin mm -hmm. uh, I got that right this time we were actually wondering uh, these figures are in such, or those toys are in such immaculate condition, the moray included, that we were wondering if they were perhaps not uh, maybe your your childhood vehicles, like from your, you know, when you were not 40. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. No, unfortunately, probably, I think it was about a year before I got back into G.I. Joe, after listening to various podcasts, including yours, I uh, flogged all my old Action Force toys on eBay in a mad 
kind of eBay seller's splurge. Oh, wow. And, yeah. <laughs> so a year later, I was absolutely good. No, these are, like, ones I bought over the years and sort of the Pogo just because... It's a Pogo, issue man. F- Is it issue 59? Yeah, when, that, when the Pogo first appeared, was the first actual American version of G.I. Joe, the comic that I ever f- came across. So the Pogo in my mind was something I really wanted, and, but then it was just, it was sat on the shelf, and I couldn't think how to customise it, so it got shipped onto you, mate. Yeah. And the same with the Moray, it was, yeah, I, I um, covered it from a mate who had it when we were little, so I wanted one of my own when I was a big boy. But um, it's just, I couldn't see a way of customising that either without yeah. kind of ruining that beautiful aesthetic that the original has. So, and it's a, it's a big old beast as well, isn't it? And it was just yeah, space. And I know oh, you well. wanted one, so it was like, yeah, well, this bad boy sailing off to South Africa. <laughs> no, because uh, it is a lot like a Lamborghini. You know, you can't really customize a Lamborghini. You might be able to, you know, give it a different paint job or whatever, but it's it's not a Lamborghini. You change the shape, you you mess with you mess with things. So uh, yeah, so I, I totally understand. My next thing is, um, and speaking of Lamborghinis, so the Terrodrome. Uh, I'm giving some serious consideration to doing some weathering on the Terrodrome. Uh, rusted bolts and the like, as well as um, some... No, you're exposing its fatal flaw. No roof. (laughs) (laughs) If you rust those bolts, you're kind of like giving in to the the, the loss of suspension of disbelief. Illusion. Why don't you do a clear clear resin puddle just sat in the middle of it? (laughs) 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 Right, sort of... Scaled up to sort of three inches deep, so everybody's wading through it. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, that that would actually be quite cool. Except I, I'm scared of the, using that resin stuff because it gets cloudy quickly, and I mean, like, you only get to make that mistake on that thing once. So, no, because no, um, I'm giving some serious consideration to doing some dry brushing and some chipping and weathering on it. And uh, I actually kind of wanted your blessing on it. No, it sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> my son, you are granted permission. Yes, <laughs> go forth and customize. You're the weathering master, Paulie. Uh. <laughs> I've seen your Gundam models. Come on. Oh, thank I think you. we got to take that clip of Jim going. My son, you can go forth and just have it end the episode. <laughs> yeah, that. I want that. Well, as like I've a got a burning story. question now that that just sprang to mind. Jim, when did you sell off your childhood collection? Say what? Um, what year? So when was it? If I started listening to parties about 2012, oh, so probably 2011, maybe 2010. Uh, okay. I don't know. I I was just like gonna throw it out there on a whim, on an off chance that maybe I actually purchased some of your collection. What did you get? It. Well, I got okay from the UK specifically around that time. A Mean Dog, a 1984 Storm Shadow, Firefly, two Tiger Flies. <laughs> None of this ringing any bells. Uh, a Lightfoot. No. Oh, okay, damn. Because it has happened in the past where <laughs> someone's connected with us through GI Joburg, and it's turned out that I've dealt with them on eBay before. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, nice. it's, it's remarkable, but 
Yeah, man, it's a it's a it's run by the fans for the fans. Like we're all just one big community trading stuff amongst ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. And the toys keep on making new memories. It's really, really quite magical. But this has been our our 100th episode middle component dealing primarily with the present of G.I. Joe. And uh, we've had the masterful Jim Godfrey join us from the United Kingdom. Thank you, Jim. Fantastic, man. This is going to make for some great radio. Been an absolute pleasure, mate. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. into our third and final interview for this G.I. Joburg's 100th episode. And we're chatting to a guy who goes by the name Brian. But you'll probably be more familiar with his handle, Hooded Cobra Commander 788. <laughs> After all that, Brian, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you. It has been a dream long in the making to get you on this show, and what better episode to have you other than our hundredth. And we're going to have a slight theme to this interview. Since we've dealt with the past and present of G.I. Joe, we're now going to shift our focus to, I suppose, speculation about the future. It's not a hard and fast theme. Of course, we're going to divert from it very often. But uh, that is kind of what we're, we're most interested in tackling tonight, simply because I think as a retro or vintage fan and reviewer, your voice about the future of G.I. Joburg isn't outspoken at all. We've never really got an idea of what Hooded Cobra Commander 788 thinks the future of G.I. Joe will be. But anyways, once again, I'm joined by other members of G.I. Joburg, Paul and Cujo. Good evening, fellas. Hey, hey. The celebrations continue. I hope everyone's got a beverage of choice, easy to hand. I have a Fanta grape. <laughs> yeah. What was that, Cujo? You were about to say something, brother? Oh, I just said safe to assume that I've got many vices within reach. <laughs> Green tea, perhaps? Sure, why not? <laughs> right off the bat, before we get into... Uh, into um, the thick of things with Mr. Hooded Cobra Commander 788, I'd like to use this opportunity to uh, tell a very, very cool story about G.I. Joburg's Defiant. Now, those of you who follow the YouTube channel know that we recently released our full review of the G.I. Joe Defiant launch complex. But if you dial the clocks back a couple of months, we did a live unboxing of said G.I. Joe Defiant launch complex only to find one of the blue gantry doors smashed to smithereens. It was a very sad moment that we managed to downplay enormously in the video so as not to uh, give it a, a negative slant. But let me tell you guys, I was mortified. It, it so shook my collecting consciousness that I almost swore off collecting vintage G.I. Joe completely. I was like, no. Nah, this is true. Never again. Sorry, I was there. I'm yeah. scarred. Yes, exactly. 
Thanks to the miracle of Tamir rubber cement, uh, it's got to be tough C-A, stuff. C-A, cyanoacrylate. Is that right? Okay. Hold yeah, cyanoacrylate. Technical <laughs> information. Thanks to the miracle of the cement, I was able to piece together that gantry door and glue it like a porcelain vase that had been knocked off the shelf, uh, piece by piece, like a jigsaw puzzle, until the thing was eventually strong enough to be remounted and actually retain its function, both in the sort of the horizontal position and the vertical position. Uh, maybe I need to make a video about that. Then, only a couple of weeks ago, I heard that the Netherlands Postal Service were going to honor the insurance claim in full. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that means that G.I. Joburg received a very beautiful, restored and repaired defined launch complex for free. <laughs> nice. Nice. Winning at life. And with that enthusiastic it's a note. miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone else have any cool stories they'd like to discuss before we start grilling Mr. HCC? Nothing that cool. What are you working on at the moment, Bri? I opened a, a boxed um, 1993 Mega Marines Monster Blaster that turned out to not be a sealed vintage item. There's my exciting story. Uh, somebody had opened it before and then resealed it. Well, I mean, at least it was mint and in possession of all its bits and pieces, yes? It was. It could have been worse, but uh, yeah, it was all there. And hopefully the seller didn't take you for a ride. Did you actually get hold of the seller? Oh, no, I haven't contacted the seller yet. I still need to do that. I keep forgetting. But no, I got it cheap enough that I wasn't really concerned about it losing any value uh, by opening it. And so I don't feel ripped off at all. And I, I still got a bargain. Uh, I got it for cheaper than I would have paid to get, you know, a vintage loose item and the box, uh, which is what I essentially have now. So I'm still pretty happy with it. But man, I was really uh, looking forward to uh, uh, deflowering, so to speak, that uh, that vintage sealed box that turned out to not be sealed. I've had a similar experience, but. Hey man, it's a yeah, it's a dog eat dog world out there. Yeah. Uh, we all got to be on our best guard. Brian, for those of you who don't know, HCC788 is a YouTube channel. You focus on vintage action figures and vehicles. You are undertaking to review every single release from 82 to 94, correct? That's the idea. Sometimes I wonder if it was a good idea to decide to review, like, everything. But, yeah, that's the task that I've taken on. That was my goal. Um, and it's been really interesting so far because it's uh, allowed me to look at some G.I. Joe toys that were released after I was out of it, uh, after I had left, you know, collecting G.I. Joe as a kid. Robo Joe, anyone? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of opened my eyes to some cool stuff that happened later in the line. So it's been r really fun. Um, but yeah, that's a lot of stuff they released in uh, between 82 and uh, 94. The assumption is that as your reviews continue, your collection will continue to swell. I mean, will you eventually own everything in G.I. Joe? I do want to own everything uh, and in good enough condition to review. I, I know collecting everything from 82 to 94 encompasses a lot of items, but I actually decided to do that 
uh, as a way of limiting the scope of my collection uh, because <laughs> boy did that backfire no listen wait wait listen there's a logic behind this um, I didn't want to get into modern toys and, and uh, you know modern figures and vehicles and I didn't want to get like international releases but I wanted like some way to define the scope of my collection that was not arbitrary. So the vintage run is 82 to 94. You know, there are set parameters, uh, and so I can stay within those parameters. Otherwise, you know, if I start just getting everything that's cool, then I'll start end up looking at, you know, all the 25th and 30th anniversary stuff. Uh, I'll start looking at, like, international exclusives. And that is when the collection would start taking over my house. So um, 82 to 94, it's big. Once I complete it, I feel like that'll be a pretty impressive collection. But it's not so big that, uh, you know, I'd be buried under a ton of G.I. Joe items. Good parameter, not going to lie. When I've watched your videos, HCC, just to kind of get a broader sense of who you are as a person, when you picked maybe a persona, because there's a serious person behind a lot of your joking and stuff like that, uh, who did you kind of model your comedy after? Because sometimes I see Giamani, sometimes I see kind of Adam West. Uh, is there kind of like a comedy template you were looking at? Um, you know, there are some times when I've tried to sort of mimic other YouTube uh, comedy shows and reviewers, but I gave that up pretty easily. It all basically comes out of my personality. The way I am in my videos is kind of the way... I am in real life, much to the annoyance of many people around me. Uh, but that is my sense of humor, and, and that's kind of what what drives it. Um, I see a lot of uh, people uh, doing YouTube videos, and some of them are really great and really funny, and I enjoy them. And they have like uh, a lot of running gags and things like that. That's the kind of thing that I would love to do more. But my humor kind of tends to come out of like spontaneity is like some crazy idea that i get um that it sounds like it'll be funny uh and that the audience is not expecting i, I like my humor to come from the unexpected and so yeah it has to be a little bit more spontaneous than that so uh, that's that's just kind of where it comes from um uh, something strikes me as funny and um i'll do something with it maybe a skit or or just a joke or something like that and i hope everybody else thinks it's funny <laughs> gotcha uh, just to follow up with that, you, you mentioned kind of doing uh, a certain era of, of figures. Are you doing it in a thematic way where, like, maybe something topical, you re you'll review a figure if it fits into maybe topical events that are happening? Or are you just more random? Or well, more chronological, I guess. That's a really good question. It's not chronological, uh, and sometimes I will shuffle things around because I think of something in particular I'd like to say. The way I've done it the last couple of years is I actually set most of my uh, reviewing schedule at the beginning of the year. So I have most of my year of reviews all laid out uh, at the beginning of the year, and then I, you know, I adjust as needed. Uh, but there are times when I feel like I have something to say that is relevant to, you know, something going on in the world, and I will use a character or maybe a storyline in the comic book um, or some aspect of that review 
uh, to say something that uh, hopefully, you know, isn't hitting people over the head with my opinion. I, I want to, you know, um, be reasonable and I want to make sure that the focus is on the toy and the review and being informative and being entertaining. But occasionally I do have something to say and I try to say it in a way that fits within what I'm reviewing. I got you. But I know Stephen is about to drop the famous Joburg question, so I'm going to let him do that right now. Oh, and I was going to swing the mic in the direction of Paul, but Paul, if you'll indulge me, I think it's very important to ask very very early on in an interview, anyone who's graced G.I. Joburg with their presence should expect this question. I suppose you could call it the desert island question or the burning building question, but Brian... Which figure, which vehicle would you save from the flames? Uh, or alternatively, which ones? Ah, oh, here's one. Which figure, which vehicle, and which issue of the comic book would you take with you on that desert island? Oh, that's a re- those really good questions. Um, <laughs> Does it change with, month to month? Uh, no, I like it. Um, the... As far as what figure I would save, it wouldn't necessarily be the coolest figure. Um, it would have to be a figure that had some sentimental value to me. Uh, and so I would go with uh, my first figure, which would be the straight arm breaker from 1982. Uh, absolutely not one of the coolest figures, but that was the figure that got me into G.I. Joe. And if I lost everything else, I would want to remember that. So I'd have to take that with me. As far as a vehicle that I would take... The killer whale is my favorite vehicle, and um, yeah, I'd have to go with that. That's the, I just love the killer whale, and uh, that's the one. I don't have a whole a lot of sentimental attachment to a lot of vehicles like I do figures, but I, I've always just loved the, the killer whale, so i take that one. Um, and as far as the comic book goes, I think the one that that I would like get the most out of if it was the only thing that I could save. It's it's not one that has a lot of action in it, and I don't actually even remember which issue number it was, but it was the the issue where Snake Eyes and Stalker visit uh, the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. Um, I thought that uh, issue had a surprising emotional punch to it. I think when I first read that issue, uh, it's where it really cemented in my mind that Reading a G.I. Joe comic book was more than just about play battles uh, and more than just about like G.I. Joe versus Cobra, you know, green team versus blue team, that there could be something more to it. Sure. And, and not just product placement either. I mean, it's, it became a it became a message book. Harmer transcended that the, 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 the sort of the, the parameters that Hasbro placed on him. Something I just wanted to remark on on an earlier comment that you made, um, HCC. I have to agree with you with um, how you're collecting. I think it's a very good approach, and it's something that I can personally relate to. When I got back into G.I. Joe, I had kind of made it my mission to do all of the uh, modern era figures, to, to have a full modern era collection. And then how I thinned that down was... I wanted the best of the best from the modern era. I mean, not necessarily the best of the best, as, as in like other figures that had already been released. Uh, I wanted the better shipwreck, or I wanted the cooler Duke, or whatever. But I yeah. wanted them to be representative of their different eras in the in the line. 
as I did that, like for myself, I found that the biggest sort of deficit or the biggest problem that was in the modern era collection was that a lot of my favorite vehicles weren't going to get made. And I used to see people on his tank complaining about how we would never get a, a this or a that or, a you know, hopefully we get a flag, etc., etc. And it's kind of that that started getting me to think about collecting vintage. And then by extension, you know, Steve was very big into getting vintage stuff. And often when he was up here in Joburg, he would, you know, sometimes get a parcel or something from eBay of vintage Joes. And I would get a different look of them because my um, sort of view on the on the vintage Joes was limited to the catalog and um, then uh, the book uh, Mark Bellomo's Ultimate G.I. Joe Collector's Guide. So, you know, I kind of felt that, okay, I got what I needed from the vintage figures. And every time Steve would come over with something arbitrary like Alpine or whatever, I'd start seeing these figures on, under a new light. <laughs> you had to go with Alpine, the <laughs> second best mountaineer on the G.I. Joe team. <laughs> I well, you see, that's the thing, yeah, right? So, I mean, he is a fairly arbitrary figure in a lot of ways, you know? It's not like, I don't know how many people think he's the best G.I. Joe in the world ever, but I don't know if the list is that big, but hey, whatever, you know, we all have our, our quirks. I mean, I like yeah, sci-fi. Al- Alpine's a great figure. It, it, Alpine's an he excellent is. figure. No, I'll is. tell you what, if, if I can just continue on a little bit on uh, the discussion about, you know, the scope of of collecting, my philosophy when I started, is that the collecting is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be, you know, job. like an unhealthy obsession. You're supposed to enjoy mm. it. And one thing that uh, made me realize that I, I really had to be careful about uh, limiting what I collect. I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, uh, there's an 18-part documentary, basically, about uh, Air Devon. I don't know if you've heard of Air mm-hmm. Devon before. She was a super collector, uh, and Collectible Spectacle uh, did uh, this series yeah, of videos. She has went all through. of those box figures. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes, she, yeah. She actually really tried to collect literally everything. Everything international, domestic, modern, vintage, going all the way back to 1964. And that collection really did take over her house and took over her life uh, and there's a, a a point in the video where she says uh, this this isn't fun it was a lot more fun when the collection was a lot smaller um, and that's always been a, kind of a cautionary tale to me i th- that to me shows me what happens when you do go too far and so you can't really have everything uh, you could, you know, limit your collection to just the stuff you like, and that's fine. Um, I wanted to get a, a better, you know, fuller picture of the the whole vintage line, but I had to find a place to stop. I had to make a decision on it's going to go this far and no farther because if I let it just grow to infinity, uh, it's going to stop being fun. It's going to take over my life, and that would completely defeat the purpose of why I started collecting in the first place. Mm. And that's the thing for me where I just felt like, okay, so on modern era figures, it isn't scratching these itches and whatever. And I'm, I'm starting to have this, like I'm flirting with the vintage stuff again. And then modern era got to this point where it was like, well, okay, well, firstly it was getting expensive and exactly like you said, it was becoming kind of like, like, I don't want to say a chore, but, you know, it was starting to get, like, expensive trying to do both modern era and vintage and whatever. And then it also became kind of, like, habitual or almost obsessive to the point where BBTS has a pre-order available and all that. And I'd really strained myself to try and get these toys. And then 
modern era started getting very thin. Like, it stopped. And I still wanted to G.I. Joe. And, and what I've told myself now is I want to strictly collect between, I want to get the whole 83 to like 93 set. You know what I mean? That's not internationals, not anything crazy like that, with the exception of like one or two extremes, you know? I think a lot of collectors need to actually, you know, check themselves and go, limits of my collection. Because not only is it, like for me, I love seeing my, my collection grow. You know, my, my, like when I get a new 86 figure or an 88 figure, I love that. It's, it's fulfilling, you know, and I do take them down and I play with them, you know, lame. I know, but I do. So anyway. <laughs> not lame, yeah. Paul, not lame at all, brother. Yeah, this is your support group, brother. <laughs> I can't judge. I'm not judging. Well, uh, you mentioned, uh, something that we asked Plastic Battles, the best photographer in G.I. Joe when he was on here. He's uh, great. He is. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's, he's a great photographer, better dude. He mentioned, like, when he walked away from G.I. Joe for the first time, you mentioned it earlier, like, you were done with G.I. Joe at this time. What was the break for you? Was it age? Was it you just didn't care for what they were doing? The short answer to that is uh, Cobra Law in 1987. Um, <laughs> that was that was a killer for me. But the, the, the slightly longer and uh, fuller answer is my friends and I probably stayed in G.I. Joe longer than a lot of kids did when we were getting to be like 12 and 13. But we had shifted from like big backyard battles uh, to customizing. Because, you know, 86, 87, we were getting a lot of purple and other stuff, you know, stuff that was really not very military. So we just used the parts and we'd get some modeling paint and paint them some proper colors. We, we stuck with it maybe for a, about a year longer than we would have otherwise, just getting some enjoyment out of customizing. I was still reading the comic books and I, st- I was still enjoying the comic books at the time. Uh, I got through the, uh, uh, Cobra Civil War story arc, which I loved, and I think is it's still like my favorite story arc of that series. Um, so I was still getting a lot of satisfaction out of the the comic book. Then the 1987 movie came out, but I, I'm pretty sure I did not see it in 1987. I think I saw it in 1988 uh, because I can remember getting a few figures from 1988. But at some point, I guess I saw the movie on TV or maybe I rented it uh, on VHS or something. But after I saw the movie and I saw the direction they went with Cobra Law, I was that that's it. <laughs> I, you know, I was getting a bit long in the tooth anyway, but yeah, I'm out. This is not anything that I recognize as as G.I. Joe, and I, I just I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> so you respond to more the the military aspects of of the brand. You named yourself Hooded Cobra Commander, but yet you said the character that made the biggest impression was Breaker. How do you break on that? Okay, that's uh, that's fair. Um, the 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 screen name Hooded Cobra Commander seven eight eight. It came mainly because I was just looking for something that wasn't in use already, and I, I do like the Hooded Cobra Commander figure, uh, and I took the 788 from the His Tank, uh, so I felt, you know, that'll work. Uh, if I had it all to do over again, I'd probably choose something shorter and easier to say. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a running gag, bro. Yeah, it is a running gag now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's where the name comes from. I was just looking for a, a, a name that nobody was using, but... As far as my temperament, uh, my personal philosophy goes, I definitely side more with the good guys than the villains. Um, and, uh, yeah, Breaker, I mean, Breaker's not a spectacular figure, but 
he was my first figure. So there's a lot of sentimental attachment to that. But yeah, yeah, into the divide of, of G.I. Joe versus Cobra, I definitely come down on G.I. Joe's side philosophically. Something that always intrigues me uh, as a sort of a latter-day G.I. Joe fan is the concept of one man's sunset being another man's sunrise. Because I must yeah. admit, the 1987 G.I. Joe, the movie, was kind of my jumping-on point for G.I. Joe. So it's ironic that, that it drove you away and it, it beckoned me closer. I guess we both were looking for different things, and we were both at different yeah. stages. And, and there's, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I've come to realize that more now, being a reviewer and interacting with a lot of younger fans uh, who enjoy and got into GI Joe for the very reasons that I got out of it. And you know, that's really broadened my, you know, my thinking about it, and it's broadened my appreciation. I still don't like Cobra Law, but I can appreciate that other people do. Uh, and, you know, my opinion is my opinion. My opinion is not gospel. And so I I absolutely respect uh, a lot of people who essentially got in when I got out. Obviously, there was something about that era that drew some new fans to it. And if that's the case, I mean, that's good for G.I. Joe. I think if you were under 10 uh, and, and then squarely Hasbro's target market for such a film, the macabre elements were really quite enticing and exciting. They weren't corny at all. It was like, wow, Cobra Commander's this weird gray-skinned dude, and what are they doing to him? Oh my goodness, the spores? All of that stuff was absolutely terrifying and, and very captivating to someone slightly younger. But anyone who was on the verge of their teen years would be like, yuck, yuck. <laughs> yeah. How could you it. undermine yeah, yeah. the military fantasy that I've played in for so long? How can you retcon this? How can you? It's a betrayal. Yeah. It did. It did kind of feel like that. I've tried to not take it quite so personally as an adult, but at the time, it did kind of feel that way. Hmm. For my money, it ripped open the roof on what play patterns GI Joe could be involved in. It wasn't just just straight up and down sort of military incursions. All of a sudden, aliens, mutants, space travel, ninjas that could take on entire legions of, of, of machine gun toting enemies, like all of that stuff became very squarely within the realm of possibility for your play. And that's, I suppose, explaining where I'm coming from. And I can appreciate that. Um, and, you know, there, I mean, there's obviously an appeal to that. Um, I think still no appeal for Robo Joe. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Robo Joe like literally killed me, man. Anytime those armored tech uh, figures come up and everyone's pouring scorn on them online, I simply tell the story of how I used to integrate them. That they were walking tanks. They were your heavies. They were able to, you know, walk into an enemy stronghold, bullets bouncing off them. They'd have kind of jet boot mobility. And, uh, and a fantastic array of weapons. It was like essentially our way of playing Iron Man before we had Iron Man figures in that scale. So there's my justification for that. Nobody liked I, Avatar either. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, I mean, Hasbro was trying to tap into that kind of thing, and, and for some people they were successful. Uh, and one thing that 
earlier era G.I. Joe fans, I think, need to, you know, be a little bit reflective about is that we had fantasy elements in the G.I. Joe line pretty early on. I mean, we had a color-changing shapeshifter in Zartan in 1984. You know, we had a cloned Cobra Emperor in 1986. I mean, this is fairly early in the line. So we had those fantasy elements, even though sometimes we like to pretend that, oh, back then, you know, it was all military, you know, authentic and stuff. It really wasn't. Do you have a different eye for the cartoons now that we have a better picture of Friedman, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I I have more appreciation for the cartoon. I still don't get into it as much as the comic book, uh, but I can appreciate what they were doing. Yeah, I, I think I get it a bit more. I find it interesting, and I, I'm not trying to go this direction because I know we're going to the future of G.I. Joe, but if, if you want to cut this. Eventually, um, eventually. We're taking a long yeah. detour. <laughs> hey! Um, no, I, I found it interesting that when we had only listened to, uh, and we, I mean, Joburg, uh, listened to a Friedman interview, he said when a soldier came up and asked him to sign some military stuff or maybe some Joe toys, that he was like, that was actually the opposite of what I was trying to do with that. And then Hama said the same thing to a dude on Twitter, like last week. He, you know, the dude said, I got into the military because you, and he said, it's actually the opposite of what I was trying to do. I just find it's interesting that both, they both had the same angle on G.I. Joe, but now yeah. fans are just now finding that out. Like, well, I, I tell you that that's both Freeman and Hama were very aware of the environment in which they were writing and creating for G.I. Joe. And, and it's very hard to not look at G.I. Joe as essentially Cold War propaganda. Propaganda, and yeah. If you are a creator that is not wanting to be a propagandist, then you have to be very cautious and very thoughtful about you know, uh, working on a title like G.I. Joe. And so Friedman and Hama, I think, were conscious of that. And, and I think uh, Larry Hama, in one interview that I've uh, listened to, has, has said that you know very uh, explicitly, that um, one of the reasons that he gave some Cobra characters faces and names is because it's, it's all too easy to have an enemy that is dehumanized when everybody is behind a mask. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're not really fighting actual people. You can pretend that there's some kind of uh, soulless automatons, but that's not reality. Uh, recently, I did on my channel a reading of a letter from Snake Eyes from the final issue of the G.I. Joe comic book series by Marvel. Uh, and I thought that was a, a thoughtful message. Uh, the message essentially is that this idea that being a soldier and being in war is somehow fun and an adventure uh, is not reality. I mean, we can play with toys and we can have play wars and that's all fun, but that's not the real world. And uh, so he kind of laid it out in some very stark terms that it's not all playtime out there. And if you if you want to become a soldier, there are some realities that you need to be aware of. Mm. Yeah, thank you for doing that, Brian, actually. Yeah, man, damn, that was that was very thoughtful, very cool. So, thank you. This is something I've noticed, guys. I'm actually putting this out to the room just because it does deal with the future of G.I. Joe. I just recently saw a film trailer. I, I can't actually remember the name of the, this film. It's terrible, but it's basically about a device that controls the weather, and I believe it malfunctions. Come again? 
Geostorm. Geostorm. And I just looked at that and I thought, whoa, where the Dominator? That's the first thing I thought of when I saw that. And I'm wondering if the future of G.I. Joe is uh, Hollywood reaching into Sunbow. <laughs> Reappropriation. It could yeah. be. I think um, I think reorder that. I I, I think that ah, fuck it. You know what, dude? Uh, HCC, you go, brother. I, I might catch fire. Go ahead. Okay, fair enough. I don't want you to catch fire. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I I think the future of GI Joe is in movies. I think Hasbro has all but said that. Uh, they've said that we're not getting any new toy product for a couple of years, at least until. Uh, the, the next movie comes out, and the next movie will be a reboot. It will not be a continuation of the two we already have. So the future of G.I. Joe, for better or worse, is in Hollywood. If that's going to be the case, I would rather see a G.I. Joe along the lines of like a Captain America Winter Soldier where it's a it's a great adventure, there's a lot of action, there's a little bit of a message, it doesn't hit you over the head with it, but it's it's relevant, and I think that would appeal to a future G.I. Joe fans, because I think G.I. Joe has always kind of appealed to kids who were maybe slightly older uh, than some of their rival um, toy lines, uh, maybe kids that were a little bit more curious about the real world, Kids that wanted to feel more adult. And uh, so, you know, not not to make G.I. Joe political, but make it relevant. That's the direction I would like to see uh, G.I. Joe go in if, if they end up doing another movie. Great. And that's probably the most effortless segue into a discussion of the future of G.I. Joe uh, that we ever could have orchestrated. So, yes, it is in cinema. What about the comics and toys, Brian? And possibly animated series. I mean... Do you have any speculation as to what a reboot would bring in terms of the G.I. Joe narrative, new characters, new setting? I've always flirted with the idea of resetting G.I. Joe back in the era that it made the most sense in. But let me not load the question too much. What is your honest opinion? That's the big question. I think it would be possible to reboot G.I. Joe and do essentially an updated version of what we had starting in 1982, you know, with the new Duke and a new uh, Snake Eyes and a new Scarlet and a new Cobra and all that. You could do that. I'm not 100% sure that's the best idea. I'm wondering if recycling, you know, Cold War era characters and themes is going to resonate with the next generation. I just don't know. I'm not saying it wouldn't. I'm not saying you couldn't modernize it in a way that... Uh, modern fans would appreciate i just don't know my thoughts when it goes to the future is more along the lines of what would if you were to totally recreate gi joe just start from the ground up and make it something that specifically appeals to new fans younger fans uh right now rather than you know old guys like me what would that look like? It's hard for me to imagine what that would look like. But then again, I think if I were a G.I. Joe fan from the 60s and early 70s and, you know, I was used to, you know, the 12-inch action figures uh, with all the the accessories that came with them. And I, I don't think I could have 
imagined a three and three quarter inch GI Joe that's a team with all these guys with specific names and specific jobs and all that. I don't think that's how I would have imagined G.I. Joe. And I think maybe the next generation of G.I. Joe needs to be as different from our G.I. Joe as our G.I. Joe was from what they the had before. Team. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That I can get behind well, that. <laughs> that's a nonspecific we were, answer, but the, the answer, I guess, is I don't know. Uh, but. No. Uh, that's a good answer. Uh, if there's a specialty in a modern age, like if you were building a character specialty up, uh, who, what does G.I. Joe need out there right now? See, if it were 10 years ago, it would have been obvious. It's like anti-terrorism. That was the topic du jour. Uh, I mean, that was what was on everybody's mind. Now, I would there's no want wrong to... answer. There's no wrong answer. No, it's it's fine, but like I mean, I it would have to be something relevant to what's happening in the world. It can't just be a GI Joe with a kayak or a GI Joe in a squirrel suit. <laughs> yeah, we weren't I, privy to it, but uh, in our conversation with Jim, I couldn't come up with a, a cool specialty that I wanted to see an action figure packaged with. So I was just going for like I don't know, just cool gear. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean I I may overthink it to the point that I can't come up with an answer. I'm not sure. I, I don't I don't know. Welcome to G.I. Joburg. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian, I I've, I've got a I've got a dispute, man. Like you were saying perhaps G.I. Joe of the future should be as unrecognizable or as divorced from its uh, source material as the three and three quarter inch Joe or real American hero is from the adventure team or from the original twelve inch doll is it not ceasing to be gi joe i mean at its essence at its core what are we talking about here we're talking about we're talking about a daring anti-terrorist strike force with cutting edge equipment just sort of like you know next generation stuff not completely fantasy i'm not sure i can get behind gi joe reinventing itself to the point where it's as different as 12 inch from three and three quarters. You want to go Freakonomics for a second? I think most of the kids, let's just call them millennials. I don't want to call them kids. That sounds dismissive. I think most of them grew up in broken homes. I don't think the the idea of an establishment or like a military body uh, really catches their attention. So I do understand why Hasbro is going young. Like maybe it's a, a group of kids that comes together and, and ends up uh, foiling somebody. But to be certain, uh, G.I. Joe has to be, whatever version you want to throw at it, it has to be man versus the machine. It can't be man versus Fatal Fluffies or GoBots. It's fucking man versus the machine. And if it's not, it's not G.I. Joe. And I, I can appreciate that. And, Stephen, I can also see your point. And I, I'm not, I don't necessarily disagree. And I would say, like, the fans of 60s and 70s G.I. Joe probably said the same thing when they saw these damn little figures coming out. With like, who's this? What are these bad guys wearing blue? I mean, this is. Uh, I I can I can imagine a lot of GI Joe fans from that era saying exactly the same thing. And if our GI Joe could be relaunched in a way that does appeal to younger fans and gets new fans in, great. What I'm for is bringing in new and young fans so we have a next generation of GI Joe fans. And if they can do that with some iteration of real american hero awesome i just don't know if they can 
Dude, honestly, I'm okay with something dying with dignity, though. Yeah. Like, if they turn it into Star Wars where there's, like, scarlet plushies and stuff, like, mm -mm. Yeah, it's... And that's the thing. Whatever they come up with, they don't have to win me. You know, I have my era of G.I. Joe, and I'll always have that. But they have to win the new kids. And if they don't do that, then we will be the last generation of G.I. Joe fans. Amen. <laughs> hey, speaking of, are you going to make it to the last Joe-Con? That is my intention, yes. That's an important little bit of speculation on the future. Will we all, present company included, make it mm. to the last Joe-Con? Certainly a lofty goal to aim for. I think it would be awesome. I am still going to try to see if they'll give me or us, really, hopefully us, a panel. A panel for, like, G.I. Joe YouTube creators. Um, I did send an email to um, Fun Publications, and they just basically said it's, it's too early. They're not looking at that yet. But I'll keep on them because um, I think it'll be awesome. I th- and I think we, uh, G.I. Joeberg, you know, my channel, FormBX257, and these other guys that are creating a lot of content right now for G.I. Joe, I mean, we're I think we've earned that. If it was the 80s, we'd be on some kind of marketing team. We're not we're not playing with that kind of budget anymore, unfortunately. I feel like that they have to they have to turn to the fans because I keep seeing like the the execs, you know, and the, and they don't know what GI Joe is. Yeah, and right now there isn't anything. I mean, the only thing you're getting new about GI Joe is fan created. Um, well, I mean, you got you've got comic books. I'm sorry, that there are new comic books coming out, but there's no toy product right now. Uh, there's no cartoon on the air. Uh, there, if there's going to be a movie, it's at least two years out. Uh, so if you want something new related to G.I. Joe, your options are limited. Uh, but I think there's a lot of great G.I. Joe content uh, that it's coming out right now. You know, when I look at Form BX257 and what Timmer is doing on Half the Battle, that's a lot of fun. G.I. Joeberg has a fantastic podcast. Uh, I, I love watching all of your uh, reviews on YouTube. Uh, there's some great stuff. If you're a G.I. Joe fan, there's the some great stuff to watch right now. And for that reason... For the final JoeCon, I think we've earned a panel. I think mm. that we've earned just a little bit of recognition from what I view as kind of the old school of the G.I. Joe community. Hear, hear, brother. Hear, hear. Either way, panel or no panel, let's hoist a glass at JoeCon 2018, please. HTC, keep me in the loop about the fun publication. Yeah. You're talking about the people that put on the convention, right? Yeah, um, I I did send them an email, and the reply I got was uh, basically, it's too early to talk about it right now. They're not planning that yet. And by the way, who are these people? (laughs) So I was like, all right, fine. I will. Well, I'm working with them. I'm working with them right now. So let's just stay in touch about that. Cool. Yeah. um, So, yeah, it's something I'll have to bring up with them again in the future when they get a bit closer to the convention and start actually actively planning it. Word. I got a question, and it's about the very, very, very far future of G.I. Joe. This one's for you, Brian. So it's a little macabre. What happens to your G.I. Joe collection when you decide um, to shed your mortal coil? Like, ah. what is its destiny? Oh, I. That's a good question. Is that a question for me or for everybody? For you. For you specifically. <laughs> you can lead the charge. Oh, my God. 
you're building up quite the collection. You know what I mean? So <laughs> Susan will sell that off. My my wife will sell it, and that I, I I have two daughters. They they don't. You know, we enjoy doing the videos, doing YouTube together, but they don't really have any interest in the toys. So I know that someday it will be uh, uh, it will be dispersed, and that's fine. It'll give some other collectors an opportunity to get things. One thing that I've thought of is like before that happens, uh, you know, make sure that um, uh, I let uh, my wife or my family know uh, which items have been repaired, uh, so that when they resell them, you know, they don't. Uh, rip off some buyer that, because they didn't know while well, it wasn't, you know, originally intact. It's been repaired. Uh, so I, I want to make sure, you know, that even even from beyond the grave, I am an ethical uh, seller. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I know it, it'll be dispersed. It'll go back to the, the community at some point. Uh, speaking about your videos, you, you mentioned about not letting your, your collection eclipse your life. Did you bring your family into it because just to make them a part of your fandom, or were, were they kind of curious and just got involved? Um, they were kind of curious, and I, I brought them in, first of all, because I thought it would be fun, and I thought they would have fun. But uh, I spend a lot of time producing the videos, researching, recording, and editing, and all that. Um, and so that can become a very solitary thing. Uh, so mm. it's been a lot more fun just having the family help and having the family be involved and and they get a kick out of it. They don't care anything really about GI Joe, but you know, doing the skits is fun, you know, getting some reaction from the viewers, that's fun. We all went to uh JoeCon um this year um in Florida and you know, we all went in together and and you know, my wife and my kids, they got recognized by people and they got a kick out of that. So um, yeah, I, I just thought it would be fun and a nice way to, to you know, have a family activity. Uh, and yeah, they, they've enjoyed it. We, it. we have we have a good time. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, for all you know, you could have a, a future actress in your family and then a future editor or a future film director or something. You know, maybe maybe they um, you stoked a small fire in the hearts of your children there for their future careers. You know, not necessarily as like, you know, G.I. Joe collectors, but learning all these cool little skills uh, from doing the, the skits and all that stuff that you do for your channel, which is yeah, actually very cool. Some, I hope they get something out of it. I mean, both of my kids are very creative. Uh, I hope they get something out of it because they certainly could could end up doing something uh, creative with their future. Getting back to Mrs. HCC, <laughs> your wife, Susan, is quite a team player. She's appeared in a number of your videos and at quite quite length as well. I have to confess to you, Brian, that we flirted on this podcast channel with uh, the concept of getting our female significant others together for a sort of a Girls of G.I. Joe Collectors episode special, and uh, your wife would definitely have to join because, I mean, she probably leads the charge (laughs) on a woman who has to deal with uh, this sort of G.I. Joe obsession. She would probably just have fun with that, yeah. (laughs) One one thing that I've I've never tried to do is to I've never tried to force my family to like GI Joe. Uh, they don't have to share the same interests as I do. So you know when we do those things and she you know participates, she doesn't feel like it's like she has to pretend to be interested in the thing that I'm interested. in. She can just enjoy the doing the skit and just having a good time. 
Um, but yeah, I know, I know GI Joe's not their thing and it doesn't have to be. Uh, but yeah, she's been a sport. Hmm. I could only hope so much from my uh, significant other, but so far it's not looking too rosy. <laughs> oh, mine's <laughs> an enabler, man. Oh, well, <laughs> you hit the jackpot there, brother. You know, Lil's, babe, if you're listening to this, and I'm sure you are gonna, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure, well, most of the time when I like want to buy something online, I kind of like, Look at her and I'll be like, hey, uh, I'm looking at these two Joes that I want to get. And she's like, yeah, you should totally get them. Then it makes me think harder, like, okay. But um, no, jokes aside, uh, I was looking at some stuff the other day and she was like, nah. She's like, I got this feeling you're going to run into that stuff in the future. So I don't think you need to buy it on eBay right now. So I was like, okay, cool. You sure you're not confusing her voice with mine, Paul? I seem to have had the same sentiment. <laughs> that was the whole joke, because she said the same thing about those Terradrome pods. She was just like, you know, she's like, you could get them now, and that would be really groovy. Or you could get a sweeter deal at JoeCon 2018. Mm. Stick around. She didn't specifically say JoeCon. Well, I'm specifically saying JoeCon at 2018, because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes, no, I'm on the record it's now. Gonna, of course it's going to happen. Dude, did I step on your sign-out? Did you want to sign-out again, or did we have more questions for, for the king of YouTube? Oh, man. HCC. Oh, we could keep HCC. this up all day, I'd say. But I suppose for the sake of episode 100 coming down somewhere around the three-hour mark... <laughs> Maybe we should start wrapping things up. I have a question from Robert Lee, who is in absentia at the moment, but this question finds its way through the ether anyway. Brian? Yes? What is your favorite aspect of the Scoop action figure? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite aspect of the Scoop action figure it has to be that uh, that the the yellow, man. The, the the canary yellow uh, uniform. No, actually, I, I do find it interesting that Scoop, his face sculpt, uh, was based on a real person. I don't know the story of why. Why did they pick, pick that particular person to base Scoop on? Uh, that's something that I will have to check into. I just it's, To me, it seems almost random that, he, yeah, he's based on a real guy, but why that guy? I mean, I know he's he's a reporter, but yeah, there are lots of reporters. There were a lot, lot more famous reporters. Uh, why did they pick that one? Well, they weren't very well going to go with a likeness from Kevin Carter, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that would have made for a very intriguing bit of controversy. Damn, Scoop, you could have saved those Joes instead of taking that picture. <sighs> um... <laughs> Does anyone have, else have a, a burning question or two? Um, it's just it's just good to it's good to chat up the community. It's long overdue. I can see what's going on, and we're not GI Joeberg. He's not HCC. We're GI Joe. That's not hubris. That that's kind of what it is. Well said, Cooge. So I'm ready. I know you guys are. That's all. Cool. Paul, what you got, buddy? I managed to get all my questions out. I think. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry if I put you on the spot there, Brian, with the uh, possible uh, pyramid in your future question. <laughs> uh, now, have you heard something? Uh, it's, do you know something I should know? No, 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 not at all. No, um, I just it's actually it is something that recently uh, has come to my 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 th- my thoughts. Actually, it's like what happens to our collection when we're gone, and do we care? And and I I think the way you answered it was was perfect actually i i actually found it to be a very humble and 
really um, inspiring answer because I'm kind of asking that question for myself right now. Which is why you can't I take it you. with you, brother. You can't take it with you. Yeah, you can't take it with you. Exactly that. And and I like that idea of, you know, you wanting to it, it to go back, you know, somehow to find its way into another child's life. You know, what I'm saying know, is make your preparations because damn to have a layperson sift through a G.I. Joe collection or any toy collection for that matter, nah, nah, nah. By the time I'm done playing with this stuff, it better be Ziploc baggied and uh, very clearly labeled. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm way ahead of you on that one. <laughs> Bullshit. You got to scrub off that uh, like inch thick layer of dust first, bro. Yeah, I know. But all the accessories are all like tagged and in their little boxes and everything. So, you know, all the snake eye stuff is just snake eye. I bet you yeah. like uh, cataloging your DVD collection as opposed to watching it. <laughs> No, God, no. That's a lot of effort. I like watching uh, it. I, okay, I like. Sorry, yeah. I don't mean to be such a snarky boss. No, I, <laughs> I just don't like to lose Joe parts. You know that that for me is a big thing uh, in my childhood that I think I regret. I uh, was GI Joe. Um, just coming back to when uh, HTC Brian was just talking about getting out of Joe the first time and starting to customize. Uh, that is something I also did in my youth, and I regret having. Not so much customized a lot of the, the toys themselves, although I do regret that. I regret having lost so many of the cool parts and accessories that came with all those Joes because that really adds to the character. And now I'm I'm like double anal retentive about it. Um, I'm on, I'm on board with that. I mean, I I recently, well, recently like last year, found um, an old toolbox that had a bunch of GI Joe parts. It was like the last of my childhood collection. It was mostly just a bunch of parts. Yeah, Hmm. Um, and you know, it was fun at the time. Now I really wish I had those figures back and in good shape and with all their accessories. Um, Now you know, I want I want it as 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 pristine as I can and complete. And then I suppose the last uh, closing off question from me, I, I'm going to push this out to, to you guys as well, to you gentlemen as well, if you want to answer it. But Brian gets first dibs. When I get a vintage figure, I won't go into the detail of the figures I got. I just got some vintage figures now. It got me thinking, uh, and, and this is the question now. Do you ever wonder, when you get a G.I. Joe in your collection from a flea market or um, garage sale or via eBay, do you ever wonder what this figure's life was before it found you? Like, was it some kid's favorite toy? Uh, you know, like things like that. Like, how many adventures did this guy go on before it gets to you? And does that sometimes affect how you sort of treat the toy itself? I, I mean, for me, it, it's, it's starting to. It, it's strange. It's like, for example, you just said now, you know, you like keeping some of the figures or some of the toys in a in a more pristine kind of condition. I am very much that kind of person, but lately I find that I want to keep the nicks and scratches on my Joes, and I kind of blame Steven for that, but it's it's for different reasons. <laughs> Do you find yourself doing kind of the same, or, or would you actually go the extra mile, and if you got a figure that was kind of beat up, would you get it restored somehow, or or whatever? Oh, that's a really good question. Because I'm reviewing these, I, I do try to get them in, in as good a shape as I can because the camera is going to be on them and I want to show a good example. But like personally, if I weren't 
putting it on video and reviewing it. I'm very happy uh, getting a less than perfect toy that has some history to it, ha- has been played with, and yeah, at one time was some kid's favorite toy. I mean, uh, a lot of kids like me, when we had these as kids, I mean, they sure these were made of plastic, but these were people to us. These were they, these were people that walked around and talked and had lives and you know drama and battles and uh, you know went on adventures. So all of that means something. Um, so yeah, I, I don't mind at all getting a less than perfect toy, and and I might look for uh, something closer to mint uh, if I still need to review it, but really just for the purpose of reviewing it. Um, I I think on one of my water moccasins that I got, on the bottom of it, it had a label with the kid's name on it. And it was like, oh, you Mm -hmm. know, that's cool. This has a little bit of the history of of this toy and a little bit of the person who owned it. I I don't mind that at all. I think that's uh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, I do think a lot about the history of that specific figure uh, or vehicle. Um, And that's maybe that's one of the reasons why modern figures never quite excite me as much is Mm. they don't have that that history and I, I, you know, I like, you know, the, the, the tactile experience of touching something that was around way back then and has survived until today and has that little piece of plastic has seen some things. So, uh, yeah, I, and I do take that into account. I, I, this is something I always have to be cautious about because I can be very critical of certain toys. I, I sometimes rarely have, a negative opinion of uh, a G.I. Joe toy, and I express that in my videos. But I still still try to to be conscious of the fact that no matter how much I dislike a particular figure, that was some kid's favorite toy. For some kid, that was his favorite guy. And I, I try to at least be conscious of that. I'm very glad to hear that. And to share something from my collection as well, I've got a uh, Raptor, and in his wings, uh, it's it's got like in pencil, it's got ACDC <laughs> written inside his wings. That's cool. <laughs> so rock and roll. <laughs> and the well, little you can imagine him taking the stage in some like you know big metal uh, concert oh, set. Cool. It's so cool. And then like some kid or some kid's mother or something at some point had stitched so the little holes where his hands are supposed to hold his wings up. Uh, obviously got torn and it's actually been quite well stitched together and, and that just further adds to it and I'm like this is one of the coolest toys in my collection this is precisely why I don't mind less than mint specimens particularly when I just want them for the joy of the toy firstly I feel less inhibited to play with them because they're a little bit roughed up already and secondly it does speak to that history like if I get a mint toy Chances are it never saw much playtime. It was given to a child, gathered dust, if it was given to a child at all. I mean, some sometimes you get a mint toy, you wonder, maybe this came from an adult collector who was the person who unboxed it in the first place. Uh, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It's always nice to have mint toys that you purchase because you're getting your money's worth. But it's kind of sad that that toy probably wasn't find its way in the, the sort of the sandbox day after day after day. And that is why my most valued Joe toys and the ones that I keep playing with and keep messing with are my childhood ones. 
Fortunately for me, Brian, I, I didn't commit mine to a little toolbox where the, the O-rings melted away and, I don't know, accessories got lost or parts got broken and I painted everyone green. Like, my core collection is still my childhood collection. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> As am I. But isn't it great to know that we're all not the bad guy from Toy Story 2? <laughs> well, yeah. Our, our previous segment dealt with the bad guy from Toy Story. Jim Godfrey is what's his name? What's his name? I actually can't remember. Well, whatever it is. I mean, uh, when all those mangled toys came out of the room, whatever that kid's room's name, whatever. Oh, um, Rex or whatever his name is. Yeah. Those were customs. Mm. He was a customizer, and a- Andy is is me. Like, someone who's dead scared of customizing his toys is like, no, no, leave them as is. <laughs> They're too precious. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, since you brought up Jim, dude, honestly, when it comes to, like, uh, used figures, new figures, that kind of thing, I have a couple that are kind of avatars for me and my lady. And instead of being in every picture we take, we'll pose the figures, you know, where we're at. And honestly, with, with with more and more intrusion in our lives with technology, it could be an emerging trend if you played it right. Like, have customizers do figures that look like the people that are actually there, but you won't, you know, have your face mapped every five minutes, you know, if you're on well, vacation or something. I hear you, Kooch. Uh In fact, we did something sneaky like that, Lily and I, from the Rage event. Uh, yesterday, I brought Psych out with me to the Rage convention. Nice. And uh, we had him with us in a little like selfie that we shot just as a promotional thing for the stand. And he's in my hand, and it's all of us like looking at the camera. And unless you know to look for it, it's not something that you find. And we did the same thing with low light um, in another one of our videos. So I, like <laughs> uh, I had to bring Make you guys sure over Twitter, please. <laughs> I will do, uh, but we can chat. Let's have that conversation sometime yeah, yeah. during yeah, the week. Yeah. Okay, man. Cool. Yeah. Hey, it seems Retro Blasting just blew us up on Facebook, uh, giving us oh, props cool. for our <laughs> USS flag modification that they've uh, Again. also copied. Seems they've done, they've released a video and credited us. <laughs> oh yeah, Lovely. I saw that. No, uh, you guys, you guys did a beautiful the job. Beautiful job. Well, that's the funny thing, Brian. Like, it seems so apparent. The flag sits very low and is immobile. Give it some wheels and raise it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I failed to, I entirely to, to agree. see the reason I mean, to take credit for something that, that, that seemed so obvious for me. Like, I, the day I got the thing, I was like, hmm, I think I know what I'm going to do with this. You know, you guys do great work, and you do great videos and a great podcast, and somebody's recognizing you, so just accept it. Accept it. Yeah. <laughs> just today at Johannesburg's Rage Convention, someone walked past me and said, hey, G.I. Joburg. I was like, What? Seriously? You guys watch what? this one? They're like, yeah, dig the defined review. I thought it was broken, man. And I was like, oh, well, I glued it back together. <laughs> and um, they were like, yeah, and you you do stuff with HCC 788? I was like, yeah. <laughs> you nice really work. have done your research. And he was saying, like, uh, so cool that you guys go on location to shoot stuff. It's mainly in Cape Town. but And I was like, well, no, we shot something in Joburg. Like, I don't know if you remember last year, I collaborated with HCC. We did that, that debate about Alpine hit and run, and I kind of climbed out of a... Uh, a rock pool that was shot around Johannesburg, and they were like, "No ways, that's so cool!" Wow. I caught gonorrhea for that shit. 
They know <laughs> they watch everything. So, yeah, guys, we have a dedicated, very important core. It's not always the come up. Enjoy it. What you do is you have you give your videos such a unique look. Uh, I would never even try to match that. I couldn't if I tried. And it's it's beautiful. Uh, it's very entertaining. Uh, and you deserve the recognition. Thanks, Brian. And you are absolutely the first port of call when it comes to any G.I. Joe vehicle or action figure search. So your importance in the community is very firmly entrenched. It makes sense that you're in law. If anyone wants to know uh, in detail what uh, Brian does for a living, check out Joe on Joe podcast, episode 87. Oh, nice, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was on Joe on Joe recently. When anyone hears what I do for a living, it always kind of throws people for a loop because it's it's unusual. But very, very important. It makes sense to me. Just because you're kind of a cornerstone in the community, you you mentioned I think you defer to FBX two five seven. Yeah, FBX two five seven. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin? but you you kind of have a niche all to your own, and it's approachable from a lot of the different houses of Joe, so to speak. You, you've mentioned that Joeberg shouldn't understate itself. It's the same for you. Same for you. Well, I mean, we all appreciate you. what's going on. I, I appreciate that, and always in the same sentence, I, I say, you know, FormBX2057 was my inspiration. He was like, he's like one of the first, if not the first, to get on YouTube and and do this for GI Joe. I love what he does, and as as much as I can get an audience, I want to. I want to lift up other members of the community that are creating, and I think creating great stuff right now. I'm a big fan of Timmer on Half the Battle. I think his show is is hilarious, uh, and he's got a good heart. Um, G.I. Joeberg, you know, Joe Fan 82, uh, these other guys that are, are doing, uh, I think, some great things. Uh, and as you said, Cujo, we are G.I. Joe. Until Hasbro decides to actually do something with G.I. Joe, we kind of are G.I. Joe. The fans are. Um, and I think I think there's some great stuff uh, going on out there. Some some great content being created. Absolutely. Uh, Form BX257, I must admit, is an inspiration to us all. I mean, some of G.I. Joeberg's early videos were like almost unethically uh, close crib of his style. <laughs> an homage. I like to we call them an homage. Homage. That's a good <laughs> well, word. Okay, homage. But I mean, we used the Lazy Susan, the white backdrop. I mean, it was like we... We didn't really add any new spin at all, other than the fact that there were three guys fighting for the microphone as opposed to just, you know, Kevin's extremely informative uh, narration. But I will say this, Brian, what you've added most profoundly is the sense of community among content creators. You brought us all together for Cobra Convergence 2, but long before that, you were in communication with all of us, pulling these threads together and... I'm grateful. I, I feel part of a greater whole, all thanks to you. So well, thank I salute you, you man. I, Cheers. Thank you. And I, I, if I if I contribute anything, I, I hope it's that. Um, because I, I really do think you guys are great, and, and uh, the other guys who are creating things for G.I. Joe – I mean that it's it's hard work to to do that, and I want I, I I like to see that recognized. So if I can contribute to that being recognized, then I'm very happy. Well yeah. said. I think in parting, we're gonna dial the clocks way way back and get out of you, Brian. Something that uh, I always like to revel in. What was your fondest GI Joe toy memory? 
You can talk about the kind of play patterns that you used to play with, with your friends and, and your brother, I believe. You were both collecting Joe at the time. What yeah. vehicles, what mission specifics, who your characters were, who your protagonist was. Can you recall your fondest G.I. Joe memories as a child? Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's not necessarily a specific memory, and I think this is a good time to talk about something I've never talked uh, about on my show. Exciting. I don't know why I haven't talked about it. It's not like it's a secret or anything, but my brother and I both played with G.I. Joe, but we had a friend, a friend by the name of Sam. He lived, you know, just down the street, and it was really the three of us who were playing with uh, G.I. Joe all the time, either at his house or at our house. Among the three of us, we had almost everything from 82 to almost, uh, I'd say around 87 is when we started maybe not not necessarily buying everything. If we didn't have it, then he had it, you know. Uh, so we would just pool all of our resources together and have some fantastic battles. He uh, he lived with his grandparents. Um, he, I don't know what happened to his parents, but uh, his grandparents seemed to maybe feel a little bit guilty that uh, he was, you know, he didn't have his parents. He wasn't being raised by his parents, so they got him all the really expensive stuff. He had the USS Flag. He had the Terror Drone, uh, and so you know we would go over there, my brother and I. And we would start uh, a storyline, you know, on the USS flag, uh, set up in his living room, uh, and then we would carry that out into the backyard in the summertime, you know, set up bases, and we would have just vast battles that would last days or a week with just all kinds of crazy twists and turns. We got, I think, creative uh, with... Our characters, we, we didn't just follow the patterns that we saw in the cartoon series or in the comic book. And we Those things would inform us. But we just went in every direction with it. And I think that's my fondest memory is just kind of sharing that experience with our friend Sam, who is about our age. I think he was about the age of my brother, who's a couple years younger than I am. That was our habit is to all three of us. Uh, put all of our G.I. Joe toys together, and with all of them together, we had nearly everything, and just go all out for days. Awesome. You were Breaker in those fights, or did you have another main? And who got Snake Eyes? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who was it? You know, we didn't always gravitate towards specific figures like that. Instead, we'd we'd get an idea for, like, okay, we want a Cobra base over here, and we want this team of Joes to attack it because, you know, there's... There's a little ravine there, so we'll need the bridge layer. Uh, and so we would take those figures, but then we would kind of give those figures whatever personalities we would want. So my favorite was always Stalker, uh, even though Stalker wasn't my first figure, but he was always my favorite character. And so anytime I could play with Stalker, I would. I think, I think my brother technically owned the Stalker figure, so you know he had the first uh, dibs at it, but... Our play patterns were driven not so much by particular figures, but what kind of crazy scenario and what kind of you know wild uh, you know battle we were wanting to have, either at sea with the uh, the flag and the moray, or you know on land or in the air with the sky striker. It was more based on that rather than I don't think we necessarily had like go to figures that we would get all the time, except that I liked. I like the guys with camouflage. If they had camouflage, they could come with me because we, we did a lot of jungle battles. Awesome. 
I feel like we could have a podcast episode based solely around reliving those cool battles, man. Oh yeah, it, that that yeah, so many great memories. Yeah. Hey, I think you should release a, a YouTube vid. Do a special. Be indulgent. Reminisce. I think that's kind of our currency with these kind of uh, ventures is to talk about how we used to play with these things. I, I should. And it, I love hearing those stories, and I'm sure our listeners do too. I think that would be fun. And the, the very fact that I have never in, uh, on my show mentioned uh, Sam, the friend that we would play with every day, means that maybe I'm not uh, sharing as much of my personal experiences. Maybe I should. So maybe it's time I did that. Yeah. I think the response will be very warm. Oh, wow, Stephen. Yeah, I know, right? But guys, I think it's time we put a lid on episode 100 of G.I. Joburg. We've been joined by my oldest friend, Alistair Stokel. We were joined by customizer extraordinaire, Jim Godfrey. And we've just been graced by Brian HCC788, YouTube content creator and all-round G.I. Joe community linchpin. My name is Stephen. And uh, this is... Paul, after a major convention and a super-sized episode. Uh, I'm proud of you, Paul, by the way. I, I can't wait to see those pics. Um, Kujo on the West yeah. Coast, <laughs> the firefly of the group, normally, but I'm calm right now. And thank you for having me on. It's It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to be on this show. <laughs> Expect the call uh, to happen a couple more times, buddy. <laughs> it's been wonderful having you. If you got them, raise them. Uh, here's a toast to G.I. Joburg and all the cool people that have had a hand in this very fun project. I live for this stuff. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>